And good morning, everyone, and all the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day. This is Sunday, May 9th, 2021. To all the mothers all over the world who are listening to us, without you, we would not be here. So one and all, happy Mother's Day. It was so interesting because last night, um, obviously, after the show we didn't get to do because of computer problems, I went upstairs and felt bad and thought, okay, what can I do to feel better? Then I realized I had taped Saturday Night Live and Elon Musk. And we're going to talk about what he did kind of later in the show. But they had kind of devoted the theme of SNL last night to mothers and all the cast had their mothers there. And what was really interesting, Elon Musk had his mother there. And thereby hangs another tale. Anyway, we'll get to that uh, momentarily. Uh, Top of the news tonight, um, you can all now come outside. You can put away your Air Raid Warden hats because the Chinese rocket, the Long March 5, the huge first stage that lofted the first segment of the 10 unit Chinese space station into orbit a couple of days ago. It safely fell to Earth and it fell safely, meaning it fell into the ocean. Although it's so interesting because the Chinese published exact coordinates and it turns out it was, I think, northwest of the um, uh, islands that are just south of India. Um, and I'm, I'm spacing on the name of the island chain. The U.S. Space Command, which, of course, you know, watches every sparrow, they refuse to corroborate what the Chinese have said in terms of latitude and longitude of the splashdown. Most of it, of course, burned up on uh, entry, but I have a feeling that our guys don't want to let the Chinese know how good we are at knowing exactly where they they re-entered, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's more, uh, you know, cat and mouse. That's item number one. Now, for the new, folks who are new to the show, you want to go to the other side of midnight.com and you want to click on tonight's banner, which says rather grandly, the art and architecture of the planet Mars. Actually, it says Mars, planet of war. And we struck out war because really, as we've said now many, many times, um, this place is really a planet of art, exquisite art, as you're going to hear and see later on this morning, and architecture. And uh, we've got some amazing new architecture on Mars to talk about. And, well, I'll I'll just let uh, Bob kind of get into that when we get to that section of the program this morning. Anyway, if you click on the banner, which says Planet Mars or Mars Planet of War, slashed out war, art and architecture, click on that. That takes you to the guest page. And then right under, you'll see fast links to various items. Click on my items. That takes you to Radio with Pictures, where we have my items lined up. Item number one is, of course, the Chinese rocket. Now, what's interesting is that NASA actually came out in the form of former Senator Bill Nelson, who was the designee by President Biden to be the new head of NASA, the NASA administrator. And he made a very strong statement that what the Chinese are doing is kind of nuts, because in this day and age, it's trivial to put into state-of-the-art rockets a mechanism where either it re-enters on a controlled re-entry, meaning you fire the engine. There's always fuel left in these things, always fuel. And they're all restartable engines. So when Musk launches something, 
And the first stage, of course, is return to Earth and lands successfully. The second stage, which they haven't reached the, the degree of technological sophistication where they can return the, first, uh, the second stage to Earth intact. So what they do is they program in what's called a deorbit burn, and that is precisely time so that it falls, you know, safely somewhere in the middle of a deep ocean. Not so for some reason with the Chinese. Um, a few months ago, they launched the first one of this new series, and it wound up when it reentered impacting a village on the Ivory Coast, and it damaged and apparently destroyed several homes. Fortunately, nobody was injured or killed. And then this launch, they did the same thing. So either they do not know how to safely reenter their boosters, which of course is inconceivable, or uh, I, I, I talked to one Chinese watcher and he kind of uh, off the top of his head said, oh, they're doing it deliberately to show who's the big guy on the block, which of course makes zero sense because the whole world is upset with China because this thing could have fallen anybody and killed anybody. And how does that elevate your standing in the world community? And how does it show your macho muscle when it's obvious you can't even control your own rocket? So his logic was not logical, and I'm kind of discounting it. I'm, there, there are two possibilities. One is <clears throat> that they literally have not done this. They've not put that hardware on the boosters to safely deorbit where they will do no harm, which I find kind of bizarre. Or number two, Maybe someone's interfering with their control mechanisms. So when they try to do the burn, nothing happens because someone wants the Chinese to look bad in the face of the world. And if you think that's just wild, idle speculation, remember my scenario is that we are at war with somebody upstairs. And if we're at war and the Chinese were the first target because they got out of line, they were not good boys, they didn't follow the script, as the Intel folks say repeatedly, they got off the reservation. I mean, that raises the question, have the Chinese been waiting in Mars orbit because they no longer have a spacecraft? Did someone take it out and they can't tell anybody because they would lose face? And they can't tell anybody that they've had a major problem, like maybe separation of lander from orbit. In other words, they have given us zero information on what's going on with their Mars mission in Mars orbit tonight. Been there for months. And, of course, nobody can track it except the Chinese because everything's encoded. And I don't think even the independent trackers have picked up a carrier so it raises all kinds of questions, not the least of which is why, when you're trying to become the new world superpower and you're trying to win friends and influence people in high places uh, around the world, kind of back in the beginning of the Cold War between us and the Soviet Union, why would you allow big, dangerous things to keep falling out of the sky if you had something you could do to prevent that? A, it makes you look bad, and B, if it wound up killing people, it would really make you look bad, and the whole Silk Road idea and all the Chinese influence all over the planet trying to supplant the United States, et cetera, would become another issue to be overcome. In other words, none of this, has a lot of this stuff, none of it makes sense. So 
rather than waste time trying to make sense of things that don't make sense until we have more data, we will move on. Uh, item number two, um, the um, Treasury Department, um, Janet Yellen, has picked now historical figures. Apparently, they're going to have 10 or more. Let me check just to make sure I have the right number here. They will have something like 20 women will be featured on quarters through 2025 with up to five women honored per year as a result of the Circulating Collectible Coin Redesign Act of 2020. And uh, the the Secretary of the Treasury, who is Janet Yellen now, uh, was selected to pick two of the first women who will be um, celebrated on these quarters. Um, And the first one is Maya Angelou. Remember when she was the Poet Laureate? And she, I'm trying to remember which president she gave the inaugural uh, reading of her poetry for many, many years ago. The second, um, and and the uh, the kind of theme of the quarter is uh, based on her biography, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Um, oh, she was the poet laureate at President Clinton's inauguration back in 93, and she died in 2014 when she was 86. The second woman they're going to be honoring is someone that I had the extraordinary honor of actually meeting, Dr. Sally Ride, who was the first NASA astronaut in 1983 to become the first American woman to fly into space. And I met her at Mission Control when I was there uh, covering things with um, Kevin Sanders for CNN. And she was so incredibly gracious and humble and not at all, you know, we used to use the term back in high school, grade school, stuck up from another era. She was just a person who happened to do something extraordinary. And um, uh, she died very prematurely of cancer. So they're honoring her um, in 2022, which will be when the quarters begin to come out. And um, I I think it's totally appropriate. The other women, I don't know who they're picking yet, but uh, they've started out with a very strong field. And I have a feeling that that will continue. Item number three, um, as you know, NASA has been flying this amazing little gadget named Ingenuity, the first helicopter on Mars. Well, if you click on item number three, which I'm doing now, there is the actual sound from the fifth flight um, uh, of little Ingenuity on, on Mars at Jezero Crater. And I'm going to play a bit here. You can listen on your on your in your own spare time. But this is very interesting because there are all kinds of kind of curious paradoxes about this. So uh, let's uh, let's see if I can get this called up properly. Listen very carefully. That's the Martian wind blowing past the microphone on Percy on the arm. There's a video, by the way, that accompanies this. Helicopter lifting off. That's the helicopter. That hum is the motor spinning the blades at over 2,500 revolutions per minute. 
Now it's flying away. The motor sound gets fainter. Now it's coming back. There she is. Now she's hovering. Descending to the surface. Landed. Touchdown. And that's the wind. What I want to know is how you hear that kind of wind <clears throat> at the equivalent density of the air of 100,000 feet over the planet. I mean, that's that's really kind of bizarre. And again, we're going to talk more about this in a few minutes. Now, this is the <clears throat> same helicopter in the 25-foot diameter uh, vacuum tank at JPL. And listen to this. Hear the whir of the blades? Again, this is supposed to be in a vacuum tank, which has been evacuated down in CO2, solid CO2 atmosphere in there, 100%. And it's supposed to be one one hundredth of the pressure of the Earth's atmosphere that we're breathing right now. And motor off. Blade spinning down. I mean, they're not really equivalent because one's inside a tank and the other is out in the open air on the planet Mars. But let me pull up something which is very interesting here, if I can find this correct email. Because, as you know, I've been kind of looking over these blogs um, that are, are discussing and presenting uh, information from Ingenuity. And um, one of the insiders made a very curious comment um, the other day, and here it is. This is from somewhere uh, whose, whose code name is R. Lorenz, um, and the quote is from Explorer One, which is a code name, and he says, his first name is Ralph, that's all we know. The released audio <clears throat> is cleaned up a bit to take out some Z-cam electromagnetic noise, and the acoustic vibration signal of the MMRTG pump. But even in the raw audio, 
the heli is quite distinctly audible. This is the, the fun part. This was a pleasant surprise to us last weekend. Remember, this is an insider, one of the GAPL people working on the team. As the distance to the helicopter was some 100 meters or so, 300 feet, and some models of the acoustic absorption of CO2 suggested we would not be able to detect anything. Well, as Church Lady would have said, isn't that special? Because why are we hearing something when the models say, <clears throat> even for the experts at JPL, we should be hearing nothing? Well, maybe, boys and girls at JPL, if you're listening tonight, it's because the atmosphere you think you have been working with is actually a lot denser than you have been told. I mean, is that conceivable? Again, we have all of these various lines of circumstantial evidence that on a range of things, NASA is living up to its name. When I was back at CBS, when I said, uh, you know, uh, I heard people muttering in the halls, correspondents and copy people and reporters and editors and whatever. And, you know, they said, I said, what do you, NASA, never a straight answer. That was back then. Uh, is it possible they're not even telling their own people what the straight answers are? I mean, why should they be surprised that they can hear the helicopter when you heard how loud it was in the tank? Now, you mean they don't have models where they could have reduced the tank noise down to the equivalent of a Martian atmosphere? Again, with acoustic modeling and anoic chambers and all. Anyway, Puzzle after puzzle after puzzle. Moving on. Item number five. Um, Elon Musk, apart from appearing on Saturday Night Live uh, last night, earlier in the week, a couple, three days earlier, conducted the first successful test of his starship, number SN15. Remember, up to now, he's done one through 10, no, one through 11, kind of what they call RUD, rapid, unplanned disassembly. Don't you love how engineers in the space biz have all these acronyms? So number 15 did not RUD. It landed like a feather and sat there, brilliant in the in the cloudy day. How can you be brilliant on the cloudy day? But uh, if you click on item number five, that's a, a SpaceX direct link to the uh, launch video. It's amazing to see this in operation. They actually uh, flew her up uh, in, in a five-minute uh, test to 30,000 feet. And they, during the upwards and downward motions, they turned on and off the, the three uh, Raptor engines. And they landed, I think, on one. And she landed, I mean, it was like gently as a swan coming in for a touchdown on an absolutely dead calm crystal lake. It was gorgeous. Just visually, it was gorgeous. What it means is that the Starship program must program to take civilians around the moon in the next few years and then on to Mars made a giant, extraordinarily successful leap forward a couple, three days ago. And what was so weird is that when he hosted Saturday Night Live last night, not one mention of the stunning success 
that this means for his vision, which he talked about in the opening monologue, of taking humans to Mars. Just one of several curious little um, paradoxes that accompany Elon Musk and his activities wherever and whenever he goes. Okay, item number six, right under item number five, which is the SpaceX test of SN15, the uh, British tabloid, the Express, decided today, based on the um, Musk appearance on Saturday Night Live, that they would do a kind of a deep dive into the background of his name, Elon. And you heard Ron, our own Ron Gerbrun, last week kind of go through the extraordinary interesting etymology of Elon's name, which ultimately traces back in the, in the uh, you know, uh, Old Testament to uh, judges. And a judge was not a judge like in a courtroom in those days. It was more like a general term, chief executive, manager, president, governor, whatever. Um, what what uh, this, this article goes into is how Von Braun picked as a title of his chief manager of Von Braun's 1953 novelization of his engineering of sending humans to Mars. He picked as the title of his, quote, president or governor or general manager, whatever, of the colony, the name Elon, which again means judge. It means chief executive. When I saw Musk standing last night next to his mother, I mean, you got to see this. There's something remarkably interesting and so Emily Dickinson family. And I'll leave it to you when you see the video to come to your own conclusion. But I thought it was very interesting timing that the, um, uh, the Express ran this, this article, which uh, Bob Harrison was kind enough to send to me this afternoon. Um, and the title is Hitler's Nazi mastermind predicted how Elon would rule Mars after World War II. So someone is sniffing down the trail. So with that as um, prologue, we've got about uh, uh, 10 minutes till the bottom of the hour. Why don't I introduce who's going to be with us this morning? That'll be useful. Uh, Bob Harrison is going to be um, up first because he's made some new discoveries that are going to be very important to to cover. Uh, Bob is uh, kind of independent now. He was a keen investor, and he achieved his dream of financial independence, and he retired in 2010. And, of course, then he took up his real love, which is space, Sidonia. He got into this by uh, Carl Sagan's early speculations about the possible artificiality many decades ago of the Elysium pyramids. And in uh, 2000, he began the website called Sidonia Quest, which, by the way, if you haven't checked it out, you really need to go and check it out. It's they're linked at the top of his bio because it's, it's everything you ever wanted to know, not just about Sidonia, but all kinds of other things that have kind of, you know, tripped into our path as this research has broadened and deepened and expanded far beyond uh, Sidonia. Uh, we have with us this morning Keith Morgan, who was with Ted Koppel and Nightline for over 30 years, and he uh, got intrigued with the Mars stuff when he purchased a copy of a book called The Monuments of Mars. That, that sounds very, very familiar. 
Anyway, um, we are incredibly fortunate that he's the uh, IT guy for the show and the chief audio engineer, and he's the one who's doing all the analysis of why my computers keep doing bizarre, very uncomputer-like things. So um, um, he's fighting the good fight, and he will have some things to say this morning as we move through this new data. Ron Gerbron is with us. Ron is, of course, uh, our proudly uncredentialed polymath. He's a generalist. Um, he did go to kind of like three or four universities for a while. And then he kind of realized that academia was not for him. And so he struck out on his own. And he is, uh, well, he's, he knows an awful lot about an awful lot of things. And as I said, just a couple of weeks ago, he did this incredible background on the name that Alon's mother chose for her darling son. And did she have any connection with Von Braun? Did any relations of the family have any relations with Von Braun? Again, questions, questions, questions. Um, Andrew Curry is with us. Now, you remember Andrew. He is our resident artist. He began his artistic career as a community public artist, uh, working with neighborhood groups, creating murals and stuff like that. He's also a graphic designer and illustrator working for both Canadian companies and Hollywood. He does movies. He does television. He does storyboards. He does graphic novels, as you're going to see uh, in the not-too-distant future. And um, he also has a uh, degree in art therapy, which toward the end of the, of the evening or morning is going to come into its own because he has found some extraordinary psychological and psychohistorical angles on what might be going on vis-a-vis -vis the team at JPL, the folks that are actually prosecuting the perseverance and ingenuity missions. And last but not least, well, there's, there's two people. One is Kinthea, who is our resident artist, exec, uh, producer of The Other Side of Midnight and The Other Side of the News. And since we're discussing this morning with, with uh, some material that Tim, uh, that Tim, that Andrew has worked on uh, with great length and has found some extraordinary uh, new material, uh, I'm sure she's going to have some things to say about it. The other thing is Tim Saunders is with us. He is a nautical engineer and designer. Uh, he's currently working on a on a yacht, which is taking 29 hours per day. But in his non-spare time, he's actually created some designs for the putative dome uh, over the Jezero crater. And that dome is going to be the key to unlocking, well, you know, the, the secret of the model that I've been putting forward for many, 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 many years, which is that we are all at some level Martians, and we are all trying to find, including Elon Musk, our way home. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard Z. Hoagland. We shall return. Don't think it's Romeo. 
as you continue to work on yourself, the tribe comes forward. They'll come right to your door. So just keep doing the work and it'll come together. Yep, as you increase your frequency, then you become more mature in your manifestation abilities and your other higher senses and gifts come online and then you have more power to make your world different and better and how you want it. And so that's why working on yourself is so important because then you're going to create the reality that you want rather than get sucked into the dystopia that's being created by the negative or shadow side. We're becoming uh, renaissance men and women where we have multiple skill sets and we can dance from science into art and we can use both sides of our hemispheres and we can realize how much we have to really offer and uh, grow into. And this is what's happening now. This is where we're headed into a really beautiful place. So we can rejoice in that despite the fear, despite what it looks like on the outside. This is how disease transforms. The mess in the chaos is necessary in order to see what you have before you so you can clean it up and just make decisions to change your reality. If you don't see it, how do you know it's there to even be changed or if you ignore it, right? Then how can you make the differences? You can't. So the mess is before us, accept our mess and now know that that's part of empowerment to be able to see and to be able to transform it. Hi, this is Amanda Vollmer and I was on the other side of the news and I really enjoyed my time discussing deeper topics and really getting to the heart of truth and the things that matter in this world and what we are doing and why we're here and, and what we're heading towards. I really recommend listening in and, and learning, uh, expanding your awareness and your knowledge. It's important and these are the times to do it and we're being asked to pay attention and to challenge ourselves and uh, think beyond, beyond the box. song many many years ago I said oh my gosh 
because they've got it. We are taking, if this model is correct, and everything we find, everything we put together, every new piece of data says, in fact, this is what we're looking at. We're looking at Mars, which used to be the home of humankind, until something very unusual, something dramatic, something history-making, something shattering happened, and we wound up coming home to here. And now we're looking, particularly through the eyes of this individual, this extremely extraordinary historical figure named Elon Musk. We're looking at Mars, and we're looking to find the long way home. Um, we are having some technical difficulties in getting Bob Harrison's uh, material loaded, and I want to I want to have Bob have full time to actually talk about and, and present what he's found because he's found something truly extraordinary. So we're going to do a little bit of a change up. We're going to change our lineup, and so what I want you to do, Andrew, are you on deck? Are you are you ready to uh, uh, do what we're planning to do? Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. His items are there. I am not seeing them. I am I am clicking Click on the Bob links. I did. And it takes me you reload your browser. I did. I even I even got out and backed up went back in. It's the same Richard, well, I can see them. Well I can't. Why can't I? I'm saying I have I have like the worst connection of the group, so I'm just saying Well again, uh, somebody's fussing with my somebody's fussing with my computer. So Bob can Bob, can you see your items? Mr. Harrison. Hello, yes. Um, I can't see the items that were up before. Uh, it's gone back to the way things were. Uh, That's what I'm saying. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're what was there before that was changed. And I don't understand. Yeah. So while we try to figure this out, um, let me bring Andrew on because I don't want to give short shrift to what Bob has found. So let's kind of straighten this out. Because if some people are seeing one thing and I've been refreshing and I'm not seeing it, it means that everybody out there in Radio Land is not going to see the current page. Something, something slipped, you know, or someone is doing something. Of course, no one likes to hear when I say that. So, Andrew, we will begin with you until we figure out why Bob's items, because without the items, you know, what he's going to tell us is kind of meaningless. So let's go with you. You have been working on a section of the Jezero imaging from Perseverance. So why don't you, um, and what you can do is in the uh, fast links items, click on Andrew, and that takes you to, uh, takes a while. There we are. Andrew's items, click on Andrew, that will take you to his items. And uh, just take us away, because you found uh, something absolutely extraordinary as well. I mean, we are, we, are, we are rich tonight in extraordinary things to talk about and to show and tell. So, take it away. Yeah, thank you, Richard. Um, well, building on last week's sort of introduction, uh, let's just go right away to my items. So, it's called number one, AC Wall of Faces. It's under my items. And this is the Percy Supercam Kodiak Temple North Mosaic Enhanced. And if this you click on it again, it gets even bigger. Yeah, it gets really large. So, I took this... Richard, who put this together? Who, who do we know that did this one? I know it wasn't any of, any of us. It right? was not JPL. No. It was not any member of the imaging team. It was a it was a one of the civilian 
scientist imaging types working through Reddit or, yeah, I, I think this is posted on Reddit. And since everybody uses pseudonyms, it's, it's pointless trying to credit anybody because nobody yeah. wants to stand behind their work, which I find dumb. You know, if you want to be credited, use your real name. So it's yeah. an unnamed, very good imaging in, individual, a, a civilian, who's done what JPL should, of course, do and puts together these mosaics. And the, the first SuperCam image that you're working from was taken maybe two, three weeks ago. Yeah. They've now moved the rover several, you know, almost a thousand feet further south, and they took another SuperCam mosaic uh, yesterday, and they posted that in the raw images, and we're in the process of assembling that, so we will have stereo, because these are this is not a flat wall. This yeah. is a series of bas reliefs, literally sculpted out of this hundred foot high. 300 foot wide circular quote cliff that's not really a cliff anyway continue yeah so what i did last week is i focused on you know one particular feature in a way over to the right on the more the more uneroded side of this well what uh, yeah, remember this mass. is a round structure, so yeah. this is a it's circumference. A it's yeah. not a exactly. It's like a side of a roundhouse. Yeah, uh, and on the on the far right, that's turning the curve around to the northeast and the north, which has been protected from the prevailing winds at Jezero, which blow from the south and southwest. So there's much more erosion damage on the left hand side of this set of freezes. And I use that name specifically. You might define what a freeze is. And the erosion gets less and less as you work your way from left to right. Yeah. Well, freeze is a good way to put it, Richard, because freezes are, I mean, Ron could probably address this better than me, but that's usually like a small section on a building, uh, you know, line. Ron, how would we term this? Lining the top of almost like a above like just just below a roof line it would be and, and it would be sort of telling like a sculpture telling a story but coming out of the um but it'd be small and more like a detail but you're right richard in a way this is it's kind of like what it is because it's, it's a bigger structure right or what we think is a is a temple but i guess a ball relief is probably a little more appropriate because it really is something that's sculpted out of well if this thing is really ancient this this what we think is a, a, a you know a, a, a temple of some sort. Then these we're thinking that these later people literally carved into the more ancient you know structure. And this is the kind of thing we see on Earth, right? And I'm going to come to that later in um, uh, one of my other posters. But last week I took a little screen capture of one feature that I think stands out very well, which I was saying it's a cat. I've done the same thing again this week to start off. But I want to show something else that there's an added detail. So if you go to my number one and you look at what I boxed out and then you just scroll down the page. And what I did is I enhanced that little area a bit and I brought out the features and then I kind of did my own digital painting of it. And I kind of just like last week. And it's actually on the show banner, I believe, Richard. We've used that for the show tonight. And to me, it looks very feline. Like it literally, literally looks like a lion face. But here's the thing, and this is one quality that we've seen over and over again in what we believe is art on Mars. And it's, it's a term that Keith Laney has often used, 
And that is something called nested art. So if we go out of this, click out of this, as I say, this is just a review from last week kind of, and go to my number two. It's called Wall of Faces Nested Art. And what mm. I did is I, yeah. Oh, is, wow. Oh, you found him. Yes. You found the little kitten under the big cat. <laughs> and Richard, there might be a third, but I just didn't have time. Like literally, look, we've been talking about this, that these, these people, the, the Martians, we're literally putting images within images within images. And it's not something that you can literally process all at the same time. You have to kind of, you know, assess one, you know, larger piece. And then within the larger mm. piece, the mouth or nose might make up yet another face. And we see this over, you know, we see this in Mesoamerican art. We see this in Hindu art. Uh, again, Ron could probably you know, bring more in on this than I can. Well, the first but, example that I laid out at the UN back in, what, 92, was that the infamous face of Sidonia is a fusion of a left and a right half that the left half is hominid, primitive, proto-human, and the right half is feline, looks like a lion, like a huge lion. And then as you look at this this mile-long, 1,500-foot-high statue there staring straight up into space, you see that there are other faces and other representations in the classic face on Mars. It's the biggest example of this uh, nested art or fusion art or juxtaposed art or multi-meme art, meaning that the artists, artists, plural, the Martian artists were exquisite experts at communicating many different things with a piece of art simultaneously yeah which in so many ways to me richard um and this is a conversation ron and i had earlier this week we were we started talking about those weird 3d posters from the 1990s you remember it was just like a like all these repeated patterns and it would just look like a visual Yes. Again, Ron, sorry to keep bringing up Ron. Auto stereograms. Auto stereograms. Remember those, Richard? Were those those the ones made out of plastic where you had multiple rule lines that were kind of synthetic holograms? No, they look like like the charts that an eye doctor will have you look at to test for colorblindness. Oh, you're talking about the random dot thing. Uh, Yes. Yes. It doesn't have to be. It can be embedded in another image. It doesn't have to be on an abstract background and uh the that's that's what that's what andrew was trying to allude to here and he's right there there's a lot of controversy over what to call this stuff because it's not a normal facet of art on this planet but people are aware that it works yeah and and those old posters you'd have to stare at them for you know quite a while and then suddenly something and you know there'd be a pattern that would come out an image would appear in the middle of this poster and it, we were almost we were playfully talking about this going gosh this art is almost like that because richard i'm and now that mm-hmm. you said there's there's another angle on this on this um ball relief or 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 this freeze mm. i have a feeling we're going to see not not just what i think we've found here but even more faces of course we are. and remember just a couple of weeks ago we said wouldn't it be nice to have another you know image taken from a different angle i think i said it last week yeah. And then lo and behold, three or four days later, the JPL team promptly does exactly that and provides it to us. And we'll next week, we'll report on what we find there. 
and maybe if we're really lucky, we can have Tim in the computer synthesize the two views and give us a computer modeling, which probably won't beat your artistic eye, Andrew, but it'd be nice to have a separate opinion, a, yeah. kind of an AI opinion of what's there. But there's certainly a ton of stuff that's still mm-hmm. there after all yeah. these millennia of erosion. Yeah, and that's the key word is – well, two key words is millennia and erosion. I mean this stuff is battered to hell, right? And a lot of it's sort of um, sagging and you know, like, there must have been a whole bunch of things that happened to this art. Well, look at the talus slope below this yeah. vertical 100-foot give-or-take cliff. You can see all the pieces kind of reminding me of that uh, James Taylor song, Sweet Dreams and Flying Machines and Pieces on the Ground. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, listen, another thing about this is that you, you repeatedly see faces in this thing. And, you rep- and even if it's just very subtle, you can see, and especially what looks like human proportion faces. In fact, Richard, some of these sort of um, Leonid faces almost look kind of like half human, half cat to me. Like I'm going, hmm, it's kind of moving from a cat more to a human. Now that could be because it's so eroded. And it's just getting, you know, the details are getting lost. But some of it just looks like they're showing a deeper meaning. And and you talked about a lot of this art is almost like cubism. And remember, cubism, the cubists were trying to look at all sides of of a three-dimensional object. So like a person, let's say it was a, I don't know, a, a painting of a, of, a, of, of a model, of a female model. And what they were attempting to do was examine all the sides simultaneously. And this is the kind of quality we get in the Martian art, which to me, again, this is a conversation we've had you know, many times, it speaks of multidimensionality. Yes. It's almost like, yeah, like mm-hmm. their minds are, are operating on many levels simultaneously. It's, I, I, I said to you, or the art is intended to communicate multidimensionality. Yeah. Yeah, and I tell you, Richard, I I was so excited this week looking at this stuff because, honestly, you could write a thesis on this wall even just from this wall because it's amazing. It's a there's there's a story being told here. This is this is the thing, and I and I don't know if that's my next poster. Well, let's come let out of me, here. Let me go look. Okay, so we want number three. I know. Okay, so I did a little more breakdown. So I call this um, wall of faces seek and find. So. Again, anybody can do this if you just sort of randomly move around this this magnificent. Um, excuse me. Uh, uh, oh, look at the Darth Vader character. Oh, Richard, it's or everywhere. maybe it's, maybe it's Lon Chaney. <laughs> I'm telling you, if if you can here, I, I you know number one again, it looks to me that it looks almost a bit uh, feline again. Again, I I could be projecting a lot, but there's some here. Well, Andrew, face. a face is a face is a face. Yeah. If, 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 the, if the meta message of the statue at Sidonia, the face on Mars, mm-hmm. was that genetically we are a fusion of hominids and feline genes, which has been my favorite model for years and years, and I've done a lot of background genetic research into cats, and we are the closest relative of cats that are that's not an, a, 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 another primate. In other words, Cats are the closest other species genetically to human beings, given that there's a mile-long thing on Mars that's screaming that into space, into the night. 
And you know, another beautiful quality about cats, and it's one thing I've noticed, I mean, we have two cats, one that's uh, an old fella, and then a, a young one that she's just two. And they're even in their, as they age, there's this beautiful um, pride about these animals. And they have this <laughs> gorgeous chin. I thought that I, was just they, about lions. <clears throat> well, I, I mean, all cats, they have this, this very distinctive chin that just, you know, comes out and gives them this, this very, I don't even know how to say it, just a, a, just a very proud look. And um, I'm noticing that in the yard is that the, the, the chin always comes out and, and there's a little bit of the sloping forehead back. And you see this consistently. Whereas with these images, I'm definitely seeing either, you know, humanoid type uh, faces or these sort of crowned kinged faces or even beards. I mean, again, heavily, heavily, heavily eroded. But they're there, Richard, and they're, and you can, and anybody can go. I mean, look through this stuff, and you could just doodle your way to mm. finding. And again, if if it's the old man in the hills, I can see finding it once, maybe twice. Yeah. But fifty times in one piece, like, come on. On a no. freeze, which is three hundred feet long, if you projected plan view, actually two hundred and eighty-eight to be exact, and almost a hundred feet high, and looks and, to be divided into panels. Yes, it does. And it sits out there on the landscape because, you know, the way Perseverance is sitting out taking shots of it and it's meant to be seen. That's another thing. It's just so beautifully designed in the landscape. Well, all the faces are facing the crater, the dome, the city that was in Jezero Dome. So everybody in that dome could look and see this extraordinary work of art, which with any you know, a pair of binoculars, even if you were 30 miles away, you'd be able to see. Yeah. And you, and you made the key comment, Richard, is when we see something in panels, when it's artistic, and Cynthia and Ron would attest to this, is you're telling a progressive story. And I, even though this thing is in, you know, is it's in shambles and it's hard to read. And we all may read it a slightly different way. I can't. Oh, it's not that bad. Well, you're right, Ron, but what I can't help getting the feeling, guys and gals, is that there's a rhythm to the panels. There's something, there's almost like a, 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 a pulse, like, a, like, a, like a, an artery or a series of arteries running Well, in the thing. middle, and it's so eroded that I can't really tell what it's supposed to be, there's something which is framed. It's yeah. two panels wide. It's under a, a, an arched almost yes. like a doorway I know, and Richard. it's huge it's 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 easily 100 feet wide and it's so eroded i can't tell my i can't tell what it was supposed to be but i have a feeling it was the central figure yeah. of this tableau of this storyline and doesn't it sit perfectly right in the well middle yeah. of this yeah. roundabout yeah and it and it's it's almost like wings opening up on both sides and so you just in, intrinsically, instinctively feel this pulse, this, this some kind of storytelling. All right. If, if there are folks out there, and I don't want to interrupt, but let me do two things. One, housekeeping. Bob, mm-hmm. keep refreshing your page, and when your stuff comes up, let me know. Just break in. It's very informal, you know, because I can't read in the Skype window. Um, and back to what we're talking about. If this is a story, if it is a history, it's a history Remember in the model that was left by us, we're not projecting on alien psychology. 
We're simply looking back at human psychology on another world and what would we all do if we were there and wanted to tell a story. So we're looking at human psychology just in a different era, a different time, and a different planet. And I think that's the key, Richard, is I, I think I said to you the other day in, in one of our chats, uh, you know, pre-planning and, and all that, and just going back and forth with information, is that I, I just began to immerse in this stuff, and I literally felt my own my own blood, you know, sort of rising up and going, oh, wow, and, and, and I'm like, holy, and, and it's like, yeah, it's like a mirror. It's like you're meeting yourself again, because I, I kept saying... I would love to sit and talk to these artists. I'd like to actually see if I could relate to them. And well, I can because it's exciting me. See, the most shocking thing to me of all of the decades I've been doing this was when I realized sitting there, as I said, in monuments all alone, except for the clock and the cat. And I realized we were looking at something left by humans. Something Mount left. Rushmore is going to end up looking exactly like this in a few thousand years. It could be exactly thing. yes, 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 Keith. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, so um, I'm, I'm I'm looking at this, and what came to my mind. We're coming up on a break at the top of the hour, so uh, don't let me forget. You know, get lost in my thoughts here. But my first thought was Ray Bradbury, which was a novel based on a collection of short stories that appeared in some of the science fiction magazines of the era collected into a novel called uh, the Martian Chronicles mm. and the, 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 the MacGuffin, the big punchline at the end of the novel is when the protagonist looks into the canal with his children and they see their reflection. And he says, we are the Martians. And that to me, when I was reading that as a kid was like this, Holy cow, what a concept. We go to another planet, Mars, and we meet ourselves. That's tonight, boys and girls, all over the world, if you're listening. That's what we have found. We have met our relations, and they, us, on a freeze, on a planet, millions of miles away. Yeah, well said. Well said, Richard. Now, I know we're getting close I'd love to tease the yeah, next yeah. one. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we have about two minutes, so tease away. Okay. Well, let's go come out of that one and go to my number four. Now, I wanted oh, to try to – Oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes. Oh, I love this. Oh, I yeah. love this. Ah, perfect. Yeah. So there's this um, – and I know I, it's going to take a bit of time to – Then, then set, well, do, do the setup, and we'll come back okay. to it when we come off the break. Well, the, the thing that, that reminded me sort of in our pop culture – this this um, Kodiak Temple North Mosaic Enhanced was something from Star Wars and specifically episode oh, appropriate. three. Yeah, Revenge of the Sith. And it was the antechamber of – well, he wasn't the emperor at the time, but it was um, the chancellor who we find out is the Sith Lord and, and Anakin is about to arrest him. And I have an image, if you look of him arrest, about to arrest uh, the Chancellor. And in the background is this bas-relief. And what it is, is it's called the... Oh, it's great... even in panels. Yes, <laughs> it, and it's rounded, Richard. It's, it's it, curved, yes. It's curved, and it was Only this, great... is, this is concave, and the, and the, the, the yeah. Jezero friezes are convex. That's right. And it was called the Great Hyperspace War Bas-relief. And the whole... You know, canon, the, the canon or the, the, the description behind the canon is um, uh, Palpatine 
the chancellor, who is secretly a Sith Lord, had basically uh, ordered this uh, Baja relief to be put into the antechamber because it was a commemoration of a great battle between the Sith and the Jedi. And I'll leave it there, Richard, because I know we're really close to the break, and I know you want to take us out. <laughs> okay. So let me – I'm doing a couple of little housekeeping things here. Um, um, then I have to do that, and then I do that, and there we are. Okay. Uh, okay, folks, this is just the beginning of this extraordinary tableau we're going to present for you tonight, the art and architecture of Mars. Mars is not the planet of war, although my guest next week, John Brandenburg, has extraordinary evidence that war befell this planet of artists, but that's for another time and another place. Tonight, we're talking about the visual striking evidence that we're looking at our own ancestry thousands, maybe millions of years ago, who left this stunning tableau of how we came from Earth to Mars and back again for the denizens, whoever lived, whatever humans, our great, 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 great grandmothers lived in this ancient city under a glistening glass dome with at the southern end a duplicate geometrically of the Giza Plateau. Pyramids arranged in exact mimicry of the constellation, the belt stars of Orion. An unexplicably definite connection between this place on Mars and this other special place on Earth. And this is only the beginning. You're on the, you're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and nonlinearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com.
and welcome back everyone on this Sunday night, May 9th, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Mothers, imagine the mothers on Mars. Imagine the ancient lineage which extends now between two planets, two environments so dissimilar now, but at one point, were they? Why was it necessary to build a dome on Mars? And why is there a huge freeze over 300 feet long or round on one side, which has a storyboard of who we are? Again, this is speculation, but there's so much evidence to support this now. Who we are, who we were, and who we would become when we had to leave there to come back to here. My guests this morning are some of the Enterprise Mission Imaging team, Andrew and Ron and Bob Harrison, Kintia, Keith, and there's some others waiting in the wings. Uh, we may or may not be joined by them. So Andrew, please continue, because to me, Star Wars, the first time that I ever saw Star Wars, I said, given that I was kind of anchored in all this, I said, well, that's not a future history. That's the history of who we used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And Richard, what's really interesting about George Lucas, and of course, George Lucas uh, directed, well, all, well, uh, sorry, five out of the six Star Wars films, the, the, the uh, first uh, three, which were four, five and six, although he didn't direct number five, which was Empire Strikes Back, but he did direct the, uh, the three prequels, including Revenge of the Sith. And the reason why I bring up George Lucas is because if you look at my um, cut not cutaways, my images here of the, the ball relief in the antechamber of the Emperor, by the way, the story goes that the Jedi Order think that he's brought this very valuable freeze showing a ancient war, what they call the hyper, the great hyperspace war, um, to celebrate the Jedi's, you know, victory, et cetera, et cetera. But what it actually was for the emperor, he became the emperor, was he was basically subverting it and celebrating the Sith. And you know what's really interesting is in the artwork, which is at the bottom, and if you zoom in, there's a whole bunch of creatures in the in the relief, in the artwork that was then eventually used to make these panels that look like little gray aliens. It's very, very interesting. And I, and I know from being a bit of a Star Wars geek that George Lucas was, a, and still is, a stickler for detail. So, he, yeah, Richard, what story was he exactly telling here, right? And it's very and – and I'm not suggesting that this – what we're seeing on Mars is, is the great hyperspace war. No, 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 no. But as a metaphor – to teach us what what happened not so much in a galaxy far far away but perhaps a solar system by yeah i think that's what we're seeing and well do you remember when when rogan was taking my name in vain with musk as a guest and yeah. and and they refused to look at anything in the solar system having anything to do with hoagland's models you know he's he's nuts he's schizophrenic whatever but as soon as the conversation switched to another star system what did Musk do that night? He got excited. He, he, he said, oh, yeah, we could find a, 
uh, you know, a Western outpost, a one-off civilization <laughs> on a planet. And he, and both of them were like, oh, yeah, you know, like, you know, they're the cool guys in the room again, right, talking about cool stuff. But the other locker room here in our solar system, no, 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 no. Um, you know Mr. what's Holden, ironic about that? One of the skits uh, last night that he was a major player in yes. was a Western outpost. Uh, <laughs> okay. And I'm not going to give away. You, you have to all go and see the uh, the video of um, Elon Musk hosting Saturday Night Live because there was all kinds of messaging yeah. within. I mean, that's why he was invited, because it's time. It's, you know, using my old Mark Twain cliche, it's steamboat time. Uh, Sam Clemens, uh, Mark Twain, was supposed to have said, when it's steamboat time, you steam. Well, it's time. And this is coming out, it's, it's, it's oozing, it's leaking, it's bursting out all over, including every time we talk about how we need something here on the team, the JPL people promptly oblige and give us new imaging. Isn't that special? Yeah, it's like Christmas presents that just keep coming <laughs> in. Well, Richard, I want to come out of here and I want to skip over to uh, a, a poster I added late. Okay. And I don't want to take up all the time. I know there's a bunch of us here. But if we come out of there and go to my number seven, I call number it um, from, Mar- okay. from, from Mars to Earth. So click on that. And what I've gone and done is gone over to the left side of the mosaic. Or of the mosaic and I've focused on, a, a, um, I call, oh, I have a three boxes. It's a one, two, and a three. And one is, is way over to the left. And I'm looking at this thing going, you know, again, it's one angle. Can't say exactly, but. I, I uh, uh, let side. me interrupt. Okay, uh, uh, it you made it too too small. The box would be much bigger because if you make it bigger, you see where that fissure is on the right, on yeah. your on your panel at the top. Yeah, that's where the edge is, and that thing just to the left of the fissure, that's an eye, and the counterpoint I, is the other <laughs> eye. That and that the, what you got in the box is his nose and his chin, which is heavily eroded. But the other stuff, no, this is a Big alien image. It, it's faces within faces, Richard. And I want to read to you something that just came into me from one of the listeners. I won't name his name because he just um, connected with me, and I, I'm going to return the favor and connect with him. And I'm sure he won't mind me reading his email out because I'm not going to divulge his name. L- listen to this. He says, hi, Andrew. Listen to the show this week. I have been working on the same sort of stuff with the rover images and finding many faces as well. I am really glad I am not alone. Hmm. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> I wondered I wondered if I was seeing things, faces inside of faces, etc. And then he said, I'd like to connect with you. So this this is not just us folks sitting here on this panel. This is this is real and it's happening. But Richard, I wanted to um just uh, move back and what I did is you know, if you look at my number two box, my number three box, it's eerily familiar. Yes, it's it's slanted oh, over. It's yes, over. Yes. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah, Angkor Wat. Uh, a lot of that stuff just has such eerily sim- similarities to the kinds of things we're seeing on this bas relief or freeze. It's it's just this layered, sculpted look and. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's, to me, it's undeniable. And, and again, if people just look, you will find interconnected images, and there's a progression. See, now, the critics are going to say, oh, you guys are totally whack jobs because there's nothing but pareidolia 
Is that, does that run how you pronounce it? Oh, pareidolia, I think. Pareidolia. Thank you. Thank yes. You. Okay. I'm sorry. It really is. And I'm about, I'm just about ready to call an audible here. You're not looking at the real images. You're looking at pictures of the images. Why aren't you looking at the real ones? What are you talking about? That's a comparison thing. Oh, never mind. Just, just save a couple minutes. Okay, bye. <laughs> well, that's weird. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, they're going to just say that we're just looking at at representations as opposed to real stuff that, that you know, that we're, we're just projecting in our minds. But there's so many of them. And when Ron, you know, comes on in a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about he's found other examples all over the planet looking, you know, particularly at the curiosity imaging, which is the only other surface mission where we've got really good resolution. Although he may have some surprises from spirit or opportunity. I'm not sure. But um, I'm I'm just looking at this art and it's it's so obvious that so many examples in one place can not be pareidolia. Well, I don't think so, especially when you see faces looking all the same way. You see them lined up in a row on almost like a cornice, you know, along the top or a, or a, or a, or a top detailing, like a framing. And they're all tending to look, oh, excuse me, looking in the same direction. And again, there's, a, there's, there's human-like proportions all the time. It's the same kind of stuff we saw in Curiosity um, in, in, the, in the mesas, well, the, what we believe are temples there. Uh, but yeah, Richard, this is just the tip of the <laughs> the tip of the freeze. It's you know, not tip of the iceberg. It's the tip of there's so much more here. And with the new images coming in, I'm eager to sort of sink my eyes into that too and see what we can break down. And what would be fantastic, and I did notice a little bit of what Ron was doing, is that I think he's found some very striking answers to the rhythms of this thing. Mm. I really do. I really do. Now, I have one more uh, one more uh, connection. Do we want to cover it now or do you want to wait till later? It's, it's about the, um, the, you know, the, the Mars uh, Perseverance staff. Or the, oh, no, no. We're, we're going to save that till the end, okay? Okay. Absolutely. Uh, now that Kintia with Yeoman Service has been able to load Bob's stuff, we're having weird computer problems tonight. I want to segue from Andrew to Bob, and then we'll go to Ron, because Ron has art from a larger uh, swath of, of Mars imagery over the last uh, you know decade or two. So, Bob, are you ready? Yes, I'm Richard. Okay, let's click on, remember you go to the other side of midnight.com, click on tonight's banner, which says the planet Mars art and architecture. That will take you to the guest page. Under that, you will see fast links to items. Click on Bob and bingo. There is the right set of stuff. Take it away, Mr. Harrison. Uh, where would you like to start? Where you want to start? I would, I would, I would, I would, I would leave the dome aside for the moment and, and stay yeah. with the architecture that we're, that's, that's in the, in the neighborhood but gives us another insight into timing and ancientness of this place and why it's special. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, if listeners click on item number two, uh, possible archaeologies north, which is the Yezero Crater, the hyperlink below that, that'll take them to page on my web space. It might be slow to nope. download. Nope, popped right up for me. Right. 
my computer's slow today. <laughs> so this is uh, derived from Richard's idea in the monuments of Mars that, um, that the Martian civilization relied a lot on so-called arcologies, which are very huge super buildings, self-sustaining, protected against any hostile environment, uh, which can, which, but which can house populations. Now, the, the term came from a brilliant architect in Italy named Paolo Soleri, and he coined the term arcology, which is a fusion of two words, architectural ecology, because remember, ecology was the watchword back then. Nixon created the EPA. Everybody was very concerned with the health of planet Earth, and he was looking for a way as, a, as an architect to keep the messy, dirty industry separate from where people lived. And so he created these huge super buildings, miles on a side, miles tall in his conceptual uh, designs that would basically be contained and would house millions of people in three dimensions, a city like Manhattan, except in three dimensions. And a lot of his designs are pyramidal. And I don't understand kind of whether he really realized the importance of the pyramidal design or it just was kind of the most economic use of space. The point is that when I started getting into the Mars work vis-a-vis Sidonia, -vis it was obvious to me early on that those huge pyramids at Sidonia had to be Martian versions of Paolo Soleri's seminal work from the 1970s. Go ahead. Well, even quite interesting is the fact, I think, well, fact, but the earliest description of an archaeology that I've come across, uh, sci-fi-wise, is H.G. Uh, Wells uh, uh, in the little story in the, wrote it probably in the 1890s, where the towns of Britain had been, had ended up as just single large buildings. Um, but not self, not completely self-sustaining, but the same idea. But anyway, description at the top there, you know, little uh, introduction about this. And so, when I was looking for uh, large, you know, all-encompassing images of. Um, Yuzero Crater, I came across one by ESSA, which was a 3D anaglyph. And while looking through that with little anaglyph, you know, these red-blue glasses, uh, I came across what's uh, down as arcology ruin number one there, which really stood out as mm. unusual and artificial. Uh, so in this poster I've got here, I've got, uh, I found two which were particularly easy to see because they do seem to be more in the landscape, Norfolk is there crater. Uh, so the, the first display there, I've got a reduced image of uh, uh, Arcology Rune 1 and Arcology Rune 2. And then just above them, I've in red and white, I've tried to recreate the internal uh, 
exposed the ruined walls of these uh, proposed arcologies, uh, which are quite large. Um, so below them, I've got a location finder for Gizero Crater and for Perseverance Rover. So these things are about 35 miles away from Gizero uh, Crater. And if you keep scrolling down, you'll find uh, where one and two are. And where these, these are the close-ups of the actual imaging. Yeah. Uh, where, so the, the imaging come from, uh, that I've used in that top display uh, are from um, NASA's MRO spacecraft and its, its context camera, which is actually quite powerful, if a bit fuzzy. Uh, so it's not high-rise images, mm -hmm. very high-resolution uh, high images. So scrolling down where they are, you can see where they are on the locations map and where Perseverance Rover is. So they're not very far apart. And then below that, uh, I've cut out that 3D uh, anaglyph that acid from the, the uh, anaglyph that uh, acid did of the region. Mm -hmm. And if you re if you do have uh, red blue glasses of any kind, cellophane or anything like that, uh, when that shoots out at you in exaggerated 3D, it does look very building-like and uh, oh, my gosh, look at that! Oh wow. You know, you're, you're right, because when I was looking at this after you'd sent this to me earlier in the week and I said, oh, my God, we've got to feature this uh, on the weekend. Um, those two arcologies, one and two, are different than the rest of the landscape, because I think there's more. I think you're right. I think there's more there that we're not seeing. Now, why are these such standouts and why are the others so muted? I think the answer is contained in the images of the arcologies themselves. Because you've outlined in your in your top panel the outlines of the arcology itself, and then you've left some architecture outside the outline, but the architecture outside looks very different than the architecture inside. And my theory could be proposed that we're looking at two separate eras of civilization, and the guys who built the square stuff outside actually excavated the arcology stuff inside your white outlines and so they are ancient 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 but they look new because they were excavated by a later civilization wondering just like we are what the hell were we all doing in this place and how can we find out more an interesting theory well, look at how sharp the details are compared to the rest of the landscape. Yeah. They look well, – well, what do we do? We excavate. We do archaeological site surveys and excavations, and we make old stuff new again. We even rebuild it. I mean, look at what Sahi Was has done on the Giza Plateau with the paws of the Sphinx and you know all those scaffolds and et cetera, et cetera. So human – again, we're looking at humans – in another era, another place, but humans, our own human psychology, what would you want to know if you were a later civilization? What came before and how the hell you wound up 
where you are. Richard, excuse me, Sandra here. And the other thing about what you're saying is that in our model, the older stuff was gargantuan. Yes. So that would fall into line with this. Yep, yep, exactly. I mean, these are five-mile-wide Palo Solari buildings closed. I mean, you could contain the population of New York City in, these, in one of these, or Los Angeles, or San Francisco, or any major city, Rome, Moscow. Uh, vertically in, a, in an enclosed building where you control the air pressure, you control the environment. If the outside environment is not to your liking, it doesn't matter because you're totally controlling the interior space. And look at how it's not cookie cutter. Look at how interestingly artistic these various spaces that we now see in terms of the double walls. If you scroll down to the bottom, Bob? Yeah. If you go past the, the anaglyph picture. All the way to the bottom, yeah. Look at the yeah. double walls. Now, in this model, they were inside this mega structure. Why double walls? Do you have a theory? <laughs> uh, well, structural support and transportation. Or yeah. maybe that's where you put the sewer lines. Remember, human beings, we need to eat. We need to get rid of stuff. So you don't want it all over the place. So you put it in channels and then you protect it. Um, and I think that's why the double walls, just off the top of my head. The other reason uh, perhaps for building these things with these very large, you know, what we're seeing now is just the major partitions. Yes. Of what would be in our ecology. Uh, and I think perhaps the reasoning for, uh, for having these very large partitions is perhaps um, in a fairly uh, airless environment, perhaps. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Oh, so you're so thinking airlocks. You're thinking I'm ships thinking where you don't want uh, air leaking out of one compartment, killing everybody in every compartment. That's right, yeah. Ah. That's, that's my thinking. But the scale here is huge. That implies necessity for tensile strength, air pressure on a scale of square miles in other words engineering and architecture on a gargantuan mega scale and there's something else that i ought to mention remember one of my questions to you when you sent this early in the week i said where is it where is it i mean i know it's north of jezero and given that your sleep cycle and mine are totally different because we're on opposite sides of the planet i went and did it myself arcology number one north of jezero is at 19.5 degrees. Isn't that special? In the middle of, or actually on the right-hand side of the most visible feature on Mars called Sirtis Major, which was first found by Cassini back in the 1600s with his relatively primitive super long telescopes. He looked at Mars. He was able to measure its rotation period. The day was somewhat longer than 24 hours, and he saw this triangular feature dark against the salmon background, and it's called Sirtis Major, and this is where this stuff and Yezero lies. So if, if we click out of that now, out of that page, back to Bob's items. Okay. Uh, I, I think I'll go on to... Um, Item 3A there. Um, just good, so good. Excellent. Excellent choice. Yes. Because and then what we're going to do is we're going to save the dome stuff till the end. 
And after the break, we're going to bring Ron on and go back to art. But this this now, this is a, a series of features near the Martian South Pole, first seen on the Mariner 9 imagery from orbit, I believe. Am I right on that, Bob? That's right, yes. Okay. Uh, and it, years. Exactly. And it was dubbed because of the geometry, Inca City. You know, I was at JPL during this time, and, you know, the guys were kind of laughing in the hall. You know, that kind of does look like ruins. Ha, ha, ho, ho. <clears throat> yes, okay, guys. So, yes, 50 years ago, Madden and I was on its way to, uh, to Mars, and Inca City was the first, as far as I know, the first artificial-looking stuff on Mars. Uh, but if we click on coming up to the break, but if people click on 3A... Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's not rush this, okay, because we have plenty yeah. of time, and, um, um, you know, Ron, Ron is patient. He's some good stuff, so it's important to give him enough time to do what he's going to do on this. Um, so why don't we kind of hold it there, and uh, um, we will, we will, you know, come back to this when we come off the break, okay? Let me do a couple things here in terms of housekeeping. There we are, okay. We're talking tonight about two major advances in this field of extraterrestrial archaeology. Art, in Andrew's brilliant presentation, we have focused on this, this amazing 300, give or take, foot long, 100 foot high frieze, a series of panels, uh, mostly on the left eroded, much more preserved on the right, appear to tell a story, which are a compound of myriad faces and what lies behind the faces what story what what history what projection only if we find the libraries which may in fact be in that super large building that 700 foot long multi-level building maybe there is an archive of digital information or maybe all that's left and the freezes on the surface, which are trying to tell us of our history, our history on Mars. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. When we return, we're going to return to Bob and the comparison between the latest archaeologies he's found north of Yezero and one that appears to have been found on our first orbital mission of Mars some 60, no, 50-some years ago. We shall return. Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. 
Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone. On this Sunday night, Mother's Day, May 9th of 2021, um, we're going over an extraordinary new set of discoveries relating to the concept that Mars is not a planet of war, but in fact a planet of art and architecture, both on extraordinary scales and both telling us forensically an extraordinary background, a history if we can only decode it. Um, Andrew, who has been monitoring kind of input, has been getting messages, not from beyond, but from our listenership. Andrew, apparently someone in the audience has some reaction to uh, what Bob has uh, been telling us. Yeah, um, this, so this is from a friend of mine. His name is Ricardo. Ricardo, hello. He's an avid listener, great guy. Um, now, he brought up something very interesting, and he's, he's talking about everything on Mars. Let me read this to you because it's something you said, Richard, when you talked about Bob's Arcology's uh, ruins. You mm. said, look at the It's not cookie cutter. And I found that very um, um, curious as well. This is what Ricardo said. He said, my theory is, is that what they were, the Martians, were animists, and they believed in giving everything they created a character from basic hardware to technologically intricate hardware like Kodiak, multi-faceted sculpture art. So I would take that even a step further, and I'm sure Ricardo would agree, and look at what you said about these giant ancient arcologies not being so cookie-cutter. They're almost organic. They're almost like there's something so rhythmically um, beautiful about them. Now you could say, well, it's just because they're really ruined, but it's like, no, there's just something very... You know, so he might be right. There's almost this real connection, right, to the spirit of the thing, the spirit of the thing. Well, again, in the in the uh, line of thinking that we're looking at our own ancestors, the only way we can possibly figure out the psychology behind the art is by extrapolating that it's a human psychology. Doesn't matter what planet we're on, we're genetically related, and that indicates higher level, hyperdimensional connections in models of consciousness and vessels and incarnation and reincarnation etc etc so it's not untoward at all to impugn human motives artists and architectural concepts around us now to our great 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 ancestors because even if you change the planet you don't change who we are or who we were and it's in my thinking it's we're seeing around us now smaller replications of this extraordinary level of design and thought and connection just now on this planet 
Yeah, and Richard, on that note, and I'll, I'll, I'll jump out. If you look at a lot of the new architecture that's going up, it's really interesting. It really does try to incorporate landscape and beautiful but natural have you forms. seen all the damn pyramids? Yeah. From Atlantic City to it, uh, yeah. you know, uh, at, you know, um, at, at Atlanta there in Georgia, to San Francisco. Remember the Transamerica Pyramid, mm-hmm. which of course is tall and skinny. And what do we find? We find a guy, a billionaire in Russia, building them, and they do stuff. I wonder if one were to follow the health history of the people who worked in the Transamerica Pyramid in San Francisco. If you'd find that they were healthier, stronger, they were happier at their jobs. I mean, no one has ever conceived doing a study like that. But I would bet you dollars to Navy Beans, that's an old line from Star Trek, that if you did that kind of a cross-sectional study, you'd find the occupants of the Transamerica Pyramid were different in measurable ways than people working in any other office building in the country, maybe. Andrew, it's Tim. Ah, Mr. Saunders, you have joined us. I just want want to point out, before we go off on too many other tangents, we shouldn't... Well, we're going to come back to Bob and Inca City in a minute here, so... Well, also, Ron wanted a couple of minutes as well. Oh, he'll have more than a couple, yes. But I just wanted to point out that I think that we're all... (laughs) We're talking about the uh, arcology, which Bob has done some great work on here, and we're looking at these shapes we're talking as if we're all architects sitting around the board meeting saying, what shape shall we have this? And shall we do it like this? And you know, like we have a choice. What I'm seeing is something very different. I'm seeing that the ancient builders are the ones who created the huge, you know, what, we're, what we're surmising was a huge dome, for example. Uh, but I think what we're looking at right now in, in Bob's section is, evidence of a group of people or let's just say a group of people for the moment who either had to work with what they had and make something beautiful out of it or which which to me depicts either they were to use an analogy an earthly analogy either they were sort of pre-civilization like sort of cave dwellers almost that then evolved on the terrain and landscape so things, it was not necessary for things to be symmetrical or perfectly circular or right angles or whatever it is. You know, if there are two more or less parallel walls and they follow the terrain and it, and it also makes the airlock, then, okay, we're, we're, we're surmising a lot of things here, then that's good enough. It doesn't matter that somebody sat down and said, no, it should be a straight line or it should be symmetrical mm. or it should be, you know. So I'm either saying that this civilization is pre-dome or post-dome. And what I mean by that is it's the people that were the predecessors before the dome builders came or evolved, mm. or they are the survivors after the dome was smashed and broken after whatever impacted, uh, whatever impact occurred around Mars area, which means that, again, they were not so fussy about how the thing looked. They were just more worried about or more concerned with what, yeah. how they could better survive. Thank you. Okay, that was. Uh, I, I think Ron's connection dropped, and he's trying to reconnect with him. So, uh, um, I, I I really can't mute everybody else. So we'll just have to do this kind of offline. 
anyway, uh, so so Tim, you're you're raising a very important question, which is the sequence of the architecture and the art that we're seeing. That's what we're missing is what the real timeline is. And we're well, not going to and we're not going to know that until we get the libraries. Because it's one well, thing to you, look go ahead. No, yeah, this is so you say that, but I mean if you go back to you know uh Keith Laney's animation which we we viewed some some months ago, a great piece of work it's still up there on on his site. You know, when we were flying past uh, is it Olympus Mons? I think it is that huge, huge arcology. Uh, no, no, no. You're talking about the DNM pyramid. Sorry, the DNM pyramid. That's what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, Olympus me. Mons is the huge ago. volcano. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's the DNM pyramid. Yes, exactly that one. And I noticed on there, I'm sure I'm not alone, but there are at least three different perfectly square areas which have been sort of excavated from one of the faces at different levels. It's ah, almost as if teams have been there. Like a later uh, civilization we, digging into the past. Yes. And either they're looking for something valuable or they're looking into their their origins or the origins if you ever built them. Well, I would think they were trying to find their way inside because the, the cool stuff, given how huge these things are, the surface is eroded, but the interiors, unless they've been looted, by successions of civilizations on Mars should have preserved what the originals were, mm. including the libraries. Indeed, indeed. Well, I'm going to park it there because you know you have a, a flow and an order. I just wanted to point that out. My no, no, it's a very important point because that's a big missing thing is the timeline. Um, I can I can build several different ones. Uh, including some that go off the edge of the paper. Anyway, Bob, uh, back to Inca City. Um, the item we have on the screen is this uh, later imagery from later missions, but it was first found by Mariner 9 in 1971, which went into orbit around Mars, the first NASA mission to orbit the planet. And lo and behold, near the South Pole, there's this stunning rectilinear pattern showing through the ice, through the solid CO2 that frosts both poles in the respective Martian winters. Right. So uh, image item 3A, this is a um, derived, this is derived from a um, MRO context image, um, slightly reduced, and it covers most of what um, Madden and I saw which was a broad, which had a broader uh, image strip. And you can see there's lots of... Your recording what? has reached the maximum length. To replay your message, <laughs> press 1. To delete and re-record your message, press 3. Oh, For delivery some... options, press Editing. 4. To cancel this message, press star. We're gonna to send this you. message now, press pound or hang up. Let's press, press star. <laughs> yes. Sorry about that, folks. To replay your message, press Library. 1. To delete and re-record your message, press 3. Okay. So, as we were saying, see, live so radio, lots, folks. It's live radio. There's lots of these rectilinear cells, four-sided cells, um, largely, you know, damaged, you know, not perfect. Um, and it's, and each one is the size of an arcology. 
themselves. So well, the arc, this, this is part of a huge circular structure. Hmm. And yeah. I, I, I went back and I looked, and it turns out that the Inca City area was actually first imaged by one of the two flybys of Mars in 1969, within a few days of Neil and Buzz walking on the moon, by Mariner 6 or 7. And when you look at those photographs, particularly those, I think it was Mariner 6 that flew by the south pole of Mars, and then 7 had an equatorial trajectory. So you got complementary images of two separate areas of Mars. We NASA learned from Mariner 4 that uh, you should look at more than one area. So on there, on those imagery, all those images which have been re re-digitized by modern investigators. Again, the civilian scientist crowd outside NASA has done brilliant jobs with this old NASA data. You see that this is a huge circular structure, mostly buried in ice, but some of it is sticking up on the, on the other side from the side we're seeing. And it's enormous. It's, it's gargantuan. It's if, if each of those little, miles across. Exactly. So I think, Tim, back to your question, who built what when, I think we're looking at two major eras separated by God knows how many million years. What I call the builders or the cosmic engineers that rearranged the whole solar system and, in fact, put the planets where they are to make them habitable, particularly Mars, Venus, and Earth. And then much later civilizations were the product of their genetic engineering that created humans, and then we have a huge panoply of human history on Mars that built on a much, much, much tinier scale, probably because the physics would not permit the scale on which the cosmic engineers originally designed and remodeled where we are. And Richard, what's so beautiful about all of this, what Tim came in, what Bob is reviewing, what you're saying, is it's all relatable to us. Well, it's who we used to be yep. and who we can become again. And that is Musk's vision, except he's only going to allow himself to project it to other star systems, not in the place he wants to take all the rest of us, which he bragged about last night in his opening monologue. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, who else has re, you know, reinvented the electric car industry and is taking humans to Mars? And his mother stood there and said, yes, dear. Yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway, um, one of the things that um, higher resolution imagery, you know, like high rise and um, the camera on the MGS, the Malin counter. And don't forget Mars Mars Express. Mars Express. Is that um, even what seems to be exposed here, you know, these huge grids uh, are actually themselves buried. You know, high resolution doesn't give you any better idea of what's created them. Um, because they're absolutely covered with a very thick regolith of uh, carbon dioxide um, permafrost. Um, so you, you zoom in and you zoom in, and you're not going to actually see 
what's creating these these grids because they themselves are bedded. Uh, so, whether, you know, getting whether you know proving whether they're artificial or something natural, you know, the, the way of you know imagery won't help you solve that that particular issue. So if we go out of that, and 3B is a blog. I'll just describe what it is because people can go through it themselves. But it's somebody's blog looking at the ah. visual history of Inca City or what since 2006 they've decided to call Augustus Labdensis, <laughs> uh, Augustus Mays. I don't know why they've done that after decades. Because uh, they want to get away from the idea Inca City is artificial. That's obvious. Yeah. Look so at that Mariner 9 image at the top. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And if you click on any of those images, they'll get bigger. Yep, so, yep. Okay, excellent, so, excellent. So we'll get out of that. All right. Um, it, it also reminds me, sorry, I don't want to interrupt for a long duration, but it reminds me a little way up the coast from where I am. There are uh, salt mining on the, on the coastline. So there are literally huge rectiline, rectilinear, you know, what you may compare with fields, but submerged. Uh, so the, the divisions, like rectilinear divisions on a field scale, and literally seawater is allowed to, to come in. And they're all divided up by, I guess, yeah, soil or or stone or rock or, or seabed piled up into these sort of you know, divisions between these fields, if you like. Uh, then the inlets are closed off and the sun just evaporates the water, leaving crusty salt. Yeah, we have the same thing south of San Francisco. They call them the salt ponds. Mm, and when I okay. used to fly into San Francisco International, you fly over them and they're all different weird, bizarre colors because of the microbes, different species, different strains. And they're amazing, but they're rectilinear. They look artificial. They're, they look actually like Inca City, except they're filled with brilliant colored water. Indeed. Yeah, it's just a passing observation. Okay, Ron, are you ready for your close-up? Uh, I guess so, yeah. Because <laughs> what we're going to do is start you now. And then we'll bring you back after the top of the hour and give you enough time to do this properly. What I tasked Ron with doing is looking at the rest of Mars, particularly the curiosity imagery, and providing some examples of art elsewhere than the amazing uh, structures at uh, Yezero that, that Andrew's been focusing on. So, Ron, take it away. Okay, well, got you there because you, I heard Andrew referencing the Bear Temple. That's the image that I sent him to work from because he needed a, a better um, look at the thing that he was doing sketches of. So if you look at – anyway, uh, I'm going to teach people how to see Martian stuff. If you look at the first picture – Oh, hang on. Labeled, you have to tell them how to get there. Uh, well, I think there's a website called The Other Side of Midnight, and uh, you click on – my show images and number one will be something called treasure map. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Okay. And um, 
you might see there's an, one of the one of those classic um, Chaparelli maps uh, overlaid with a um, combo with a put together of the Supercam uh, panoramas, which I still think look like Star Wars binocular shots. There's just something about those. I don't know why they um, do that. And um, if you just look at it, I tried to size them in a comparable fashion, although they're not the same size, but just look from the positioning. Look from one to the other, and then look back down, and then look back up, and then look back down, and then look back up. And you should notice something strange about the arrangements of the features on the map and the arrangements of whatever you want to call it on the side of the um, uh, freeze there. And I find that um, curious and fascinating and has something to do with the sort of resonance of imaging that uh, seems to be common with the uh, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm following you. Are you saying that the freeze at Jezero is a map, an ancient map of surface features on Mars? As seen from Earth by Schiaparelli, yeah. I don't know why, but uh, you can see, just pick a feature and compare it. Uh, just look straight up at the um, uh, Supercam thing. Yeah, I, I, made, I mean, I, the easiest one is in the middle there. But it's, I don't know why there should be that much correspondence between them. I find that fascinating. Uh, but that's as far as that goes. Uh, if we go to the next one, which is, says Bear Temple on it, that's a close-up of obviously about half of it. And, I mean, that is it. That is the Supercam image. And um, the uh, if you can't, anyone who doesn't notice faces in there, um, it's, well, you've been discussing that all night. They're, they're all over the place. And you will see different things depending on how long you look. Uh, and if you look away and you look back, you'll see something else. It's the way that stuff works because it's, it's trigger art. It makes you, it makes your mind see something that doesn't mean it's seeing some, making it see something that isn't there. It's just interacting with your, uh, optical nerves differently than what we're used to. And I think that's because of the somewhat multidimensional, um, viewpoint they had on of life in general. Anyway, uh, let's move on to something a little more interesting. The uh, I know you said it was all about all the other stuff. You didn't really tell me that part. Uh, so there, a lot of this is Jezero. Um, there's uh, there's two images there that start with ZLRO, et cetera, et cetera. Don't get me started on those ridiculous tags that they're putting on the images out of JPL. Are we talking one of the, three and four in your items? Uh, they should be, yes. And... Uh, it's that one of them has the number printed right on the image itself. That's number it three. Stitch. That's number three. Stitch. Yeah, that's the one that's the lo- that's the lovely hashish color tan. <laughs> um, and the um, well, that's what they gave us. And uh, I had no trouble at all stitching them together, as they say. That's that's just the two original images. Uh, so the uh, but then I enhanced it, and that's the rather wide. Um, version of it below that that's the next one and those are pretty much the true colors as far as i can tell that is number four right and i'm somewhat outraged by that because to me it looks like it is 
has been, even though it's beautiful, it looks like it's been doctored because you will notice that virtually all of that facial uh, material is missing. On, 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 on your number four. Yeah, right. And that's their stuff. You know, I just, uh, but you'll notice it's, it's got a hell of a lot less of it than you see on the super cam shots. But is that simply and... because the resolution of this image is lower by a factor of maybe two or three than the super cam images? I would say that, except that those early panoramas, you can see it just fine. I didn't, I didn't bother to clutter up the page with a bunch of those, but I mean, if you look at the, way, the renditions from the earlier shots, you can see it just fine. And on here, it looks more like just a bunch of rocks. It looks like somebody went to some trouble to make it look like just a bunch of rocks. Compare it to one of the, any one of the panoramas. Anyway, let's go to the meat of the matter, which are the ones that are labeled show faces. And I think they're upside down. Show phase B comes before show phase A. But uh, show phases A, at the very top of it, uh, this was no, Franklin. I'm, 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 I'm looking for show faces. I don't see that title. I see five with another. Number L. nine. Number oh, nine. it's way down to number. Okay, wait, wait. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Right. The yeah the map thing which apparently nobody's rea uh, is reacting to was supposed to be the big lead-in. Uh, but okay, number nine then. Uh, I'm sorry, folks. I can't see the actual page. I've got all the images mounted up separately. The uh, at the top of it, uh, something that I called some time ago uh, the Wall of Souls, which is very much equivalent to this freeze in Jezero that everybody's now. Where was this discussing. shot? Uh, that's a curiosity image. So it's from Gale Crater. So it's from Gale. Which is like a thousand miles away from Jezero. Right. And yet this uh, there's an uncanny resemblance in contents if you stare into it a little bit. There's uh, there's faces in there. and um, I Well, mean, if we're looking at one of the planet-wide civilizations, there should be. Yeah, but we haven't found an endless number of these. Believe me, if I had found 12 of them, I would have I would have posted twelve of them, and I haven't found twelve of them. It's it's something that only occurs occasionally. Uh, in so the, I think that in the curiosity what, data. Yeah, I mean, I looked at it. You know, I I I looked for things like this in every um, every cliffside, uh, butte side, building side uh, in Gale Crater that they've taken pictures of, and ditto, you know, other places from aerial shots, and it's the. Uh, yeah, no, those two are those two are unusual. I'm not uh, certainly sure they're not unique, but uh, yeah, the so the one the freeze in Jezero is another wall of souls, which and I I'm sorry George Lucas, you can't sue me for that because <laughs> the uh, there was a big fuss about the uh, uh, the well of souls in Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, because the, he said oh well. Uh, a, an author, a very good science fiction author, uh, has a whole series of books about the Well of Souls, and so he sued his ass off. And I think I think uh, Lucasfilm quietly gave him a bunch of money to go away. But uh, in the case of that, the name has been used before. It was used by Jack Kirby. It was used. It was used. Well, you can't that. copyright so. titles anyway. So let's get off legal nonsense. Well, Sunday. Well, no, I said, well, it was because you, it was because you were talking about Lucas, et cetera, before. And at that same well of souls in Raiders of the Lost Ark, as he's falling in there, you you get just a glimpse, but 
distinctly carved into the sidewall of the pit is R2D2 and C3PO. Hey, Ron, we're going to get. Yeah, we're going to. Yeah, okay. yeah, we have a break here. Oh, okay, all right, but then uh, and oh, okay, and we were just getting to the good stuff. Well, so we, the, when uh, we come back, we will. You know, remember the art form of radio is you tease and then you do a break and then you tease <clears> and you do another break. It's kind of a rhythm, okay? Anyway, oh, okay. we are on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and we shall return. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com Welcome back, everyone. Sunday night, now Monday morning here in the Land of Enchantments, the witching hour, midnight. We are now officially on the other side of midnight. And we're on the other side of human history. Are we really looking at the tapestry of the history of humanity that an awful lot of folks on Earth don't seem to either, A, want us to know about, or B, even want to know. Andrew, you had some reaction to Ron's comparison of the freeze with the uh, Scaparelli map. Scaparelli was an uh, Italian astronomer in the 1800s, late 1800s, 1877, who was the first to use the term canali, meaning channels in relationship to a network of fine lines that he saw through a visual telescope, which Robin and I had the extraordinary um, honor of actually meeting and standing next to, and she never forgave me that I didn't get out of the way so that she could take a picture of me because the, the curator who was guiding us around said, no pictures, no pictures, no pictures. So she was arranging some kind of a, a kind of a distraction so she could get a shot of me and Scaparelli's telescope. And I was too dumb to realize what she was doing. And 
She never let me forget it. Anyway. Yeah, no, I love Ron's comparison because this is what I meant when I said, when I did my little piece, I said I had glimpsed some of Ron's items and there's a rhythm again, even to this map, you know, that it's, it, you know, did, did uh, Schiaparelli do a Kirby thing, where, you know, where he yeah. was somehow downloading this information into himself or, you know, is there really a map on this thing? I mean, is that yet another dimension? And did he pick up on it? I know it's crazy. It's it's a big, big jump. But Ron, I, I love your comparison. Yeah. I think there's... Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I know it's completely crazy, but I can't not see the uh, correspondences. And it's uh, it, those kind of things drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, crazy guys, here. look, uh, we, are, we are at the level of speculation and connecting dots. And as that phase of any investigation goes, you don't preclude any possibilities. You look for further evidence that will support the model. Uh, fair enough. Uh, okay, well, since we're staring at the picture right now with the wall of souls on it, of course, everybody has it tuned in. The uh, the one, the image in the center uh, is a small shrine that was imaged by Opportunity. And those of us that see faces in things see a, the head of a rabbit god over to the um, right. And you'll notice he's even got a blue turquoise eye visible. Um, I'd say rabbit. It's, you can possibly stretch it and say that it's a feline face, but since it looks very Mayan and uh, they had a um, rabbit god, I um, kind of fits the headdress and everything else. There's a lot more there, but that's the face. And you can either see it or you can't, just like the one below it, which also looks very Mayan. That's uh, the... Uh, is that the Mayan. third one at the bottom of the panel? Yeah, the third one at the bottom, which is... Uh, the very peculiar is, cracked masonry. Uh, you could call it that. You could also call it a depiction of the um, the Mayan thunder god, Chak, um, he has a protruding upper lip. You'll notice that on the side of the thing if you look. He has one arm that's basically, you have to almost call it mechanical because it kind of ends in a lightning bolt. But he's got a funny little hammer on the end of it that's not unlike the ones that a um, uh, doctor would tap your knee with to, tap, to test your reflexes. But, you know, a little, a little tomahawk kind of hammer and that's what he used to throw lightning bolts and i found it unusual this was a long time ago i found him so that's unusual to see this on mars started a lot of things the um, there's a lot of that there's a much more ordinary looking face looking off to the left uh on the left side that looks very much like the depictions of who see one of the problems the, i'm having not just because yes. i look for geometry is that we really need sketches to go with these because you're looking at it. Why a, is the sketch better? I'm just going to ask you outright. Because uh, it shows what's wonderful. there for people like me who can't see it. Sorry. Remember, one yeah, third of us can't see geometry. Well, maybe another third can't see facial representations in, 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 in a maze of this like that unless you were given some clues for what to look for because it's always a signal versus noise. I see a lot oh, of no, things. I see a lot of things that could be something, but I'm not seeing what you see. And a sketch would show us what you see. 
okay, well, let's try it. All right, we will use you for a test subject then. Uh, look at show face B. The uh, That's a single panel. It's not very big. Wait a minute. Wait but, a minute. Uh, where, that, where, where are we going? Um, let me see. I could. Uh, I do number have my. I do, number that's six. number six. Okay. Yeah, it was a matter of a number. Yes, number six. It looks number pretty good six. on there. Okay. Yeah. And uh, to me, the uh, in the more or less foreground, uh, the thing to the left immediately struck out at me as the head of a statue of a female. And uh, I know you don't see it. No, I don't. May not. Sorry. Yeah, there's, there's, but see, uh, that's, that's my that's deficiency. Fine. Your mileage, I know, but it, your mileage it, may vary. Yeah, it's it clearly has a whole bunch of of integral detail, so um, you can, we can start with that. But then, if you look at the um, so-called hillside behind it, you'll see the whole thing is carved. And if I had done a complete run-up with the uh, raw images and so forth, you would see what a fuzzy, indistinct mess the whole thing is. So those details shouldn't be there. But this is what you see most of the time on Mars. Every available surface is decorated or augmented in some way. And they often have this. Okay, I see on that, on that pyramidal-looking thing in the, in the foreground on the left. The, uh, yeah. I see on that facing pyramidal face, and I'm using that as a pyramidal term, not as a representational term i see a large scowling face looking out at us right i wouldn't call her that big there's another face that is pointed right straight at the see um, the problem with the martians is they always mix things together so if you're thinking in terms of one representation it's always more than one and it's at different at different sun angles and if you look back and it, you know, Absolutely. it's constantly Absolutely. changing, but that's very Absolutely. subjective. Art is subjective. That's why we mm -hmm. can't prove anything with this. All we can do is indicate for the student who's willing to follow the logic to let their, you know, right brain guide them as opposed to their left brain. And I'm much more left brain than right brain. So a lot of this stuff misses me, goes over my head because I'm not wired that way. Well, somebody has to be rectilinear, I guess. <laughs> the uh, yeah, yeah there's definitely that, very angry and scowling, you know. Yeah, there's actually a couple of others there on the ground. The point is just to absorb them and see what happens. Uh-oh, there we go. I don't know what's, what's happening to the world. I'm hearing weird uh, noises. Sorry about that, guy. Right. Okay, uh, right below. I was... Doesn't matter. Sorry. Yeah, right below that. Uh, Does anybody see the the P and the E on that back wall? Which back wall? The I, freeze? No, no. He's talking about Ron's image. Yeah. Okay. The one the, we're, uh, we're, we're we're talking about. Where you said the, the one we're talking about. Uh, there's all kinds of things back. There's all kinds of things back there. I didn't see any letters on this. On the back one. wall, there is a vertical line on the back. Yeah. Wall. And then to the right of that, there's a P and an E and a D in the rock. And Does anybody D. see those symbols? Mm, not me. Oh, no. I know what he's talking about. I know what he's talking about. Now, not the, he's not talking about this picture. He's talking about the wall of souls, the other one. Uh, the green, well, see, you the can't green do surface, that. You right? can't leap around because you leave people in the dark, in the dust. 
You have to reference well, exactly right. what you're looking at. So we yeah, go well, back to number. To, do we go back to number, number nine? nine? Okay. Yeah, and the one at the top, the, uh, the green yeah, one. Yeah, because that's yeah, and there are what look like letters. They actually look like Hebrew letters uh, on the um, on the closest face. Yeah, at and the I mean, bottom there's the a strip that looks like it. By the way, yeah, and the, by the way, yeah. Andrew, on our on our favorite frieze of Jezero, mm. there's a whole panel of what looks like lettering at an angle, almost like it's a um, uh, kind of like a placard describing what's going on. Uh-oh. And I can't. I've, I've I've tried enhancing it. I'll send you my enhancement. It's at the threshold of readability. This looks very similar. It's like a line of script, and it's at an angle. It's on that front object, which is you've got a sharp set of edges. And yeah. at the bottom, sloping down sharply, there's this line of what looks like lettering. Yes. And, Richard, did you see mm-hmm. the um, isosceles? I think it's isosceles. There's a triangle. If you go up from that block that you're talking about and keep going straight up, there's a triangle engraved into one of those blocks right yep at yep the, at the very top right above the, yeah. the block that looks like it has a stylized face yes mm-hmm. well so, i can translate the ones on the uh that Keith spotted on the uh, uh wall of souls there like it says hebrew letters it says elon was here very funny <laughs> you know ron you gotta uh, do a second job as a stand-up man don't don't <sighs> yes yes I will. I will uh, have a drummer available next time he does that. Okay, but uh, yeah, I definitely, uh, yeah. I definitely see the pyramid, and I see this weird face on the block, which looks like a block right above the fragment, which has got the script on it at the bottom of the top panel, the green, greenish, whatever they are, rock background, in which this is carved. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're we're running out of time, so move along. Next. Okay. Next. Yeah, well, here's one that's left over from uh, long, long ago and far, far away. Uh, the um, number 10 uh, okay. is one we've never gotten to. It's uh, That's from Saul 1049. That's Curiosity. and um, At Gale. The, at Gale, yes. And um, if Curiosity's been anywhere else, hasn't told us. But and most people are not a, following this as closely as we are. That's why you have to be absurdly redundant. Well, we needed the drum roll there then. I was just trying to cheer people up. The um, uh, Anyway, the upper part is a uh, close-up of, well, a spot at the top of the lower part. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, there's a piece of glass there. Now, I'm fussy about – there's glass all over the place, but I'm fussy about that. If you zoom in on it and you look at it, it is clearly transparent. It is clearly not too thick. It is clear. It's clearly got a burnished edge for one reason or another. Uh, you can see through it. You can see what's behind it, and I think there's enough there to indicate to anybody that. Well, if you, you know, look at not... the wide angle, which is the lower panel, there's a whole right. bunch of layered, layered, layered stuff. It looks at first glance like just geology. Well, they it's used a collapsed to... building, like yeah. No, 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 no. Geology would be strata laid down in mud. My yeah. interpretation for ages and ages is these are collapsed huge buildings. The arcologies mm-hmm. that were in Gale, they pancake down, just like what happened when the World Trade Center was, was destroyed. You had pancaking. And some later culture 
near the top, put a hole, a doorway, not not a rectangular doorway, but an irregular doorway through this ancient, ancient stuff to get from one side to the other. And on the left-hand side of this doorway, that's the enlargement at the top, you can clearly see that in, in front of the left-hand uh, doorframe, there is this glistening, refractive, transparent stuff that looks like it's either melted glass or it's plastic, which wouldn't survive in this environment, so it's got to be glass, and it's been subjected to high heat, so it's rippled, and you can see darker refractions and lighter reflections. In It looks just exactly like a facing of glass on the side of this doorway cut through this ancient debris to get to what's beyond it, which you can see through the doorway. It looks almost like that, that line in the you know, city on the edge of forever, the guardian of forever, where you could see, you know, pictures through the irregular frame, except there's a landscape behind it. And there looks to be like a building, almost like a Quonset hut, which has huge figures or hieroglyphs or something on the side facing this doorway. Yes. If we jump up to number eight, which is a similar color combination, okay. but not in the same location in Gale Crater, uh, that's from Sol 796. Going to eight. Uh, yeah. The, uh, if the, on the extreme upper left of it, you'll see some, well, they're glyphs, carvings, something. There's def- it's definitely not, you know, it's definitely carved into there. But uh, down more or less in the in the middle, uh, there's some stuff dripping, and it's like speaking of plastic versus glass. Mm-hmm. I mean, you will see something that's filament, strap, scrap, something. Uh, it's hanging over. How you can do see we the know? Light how do we know that isn't cabling? Uh, because you can kind of see through it. By kind of see through it, I mean it's not transparent to you know fight most argument like the other picture it's uh but you can you can just light and dark thing you know it's, you can see darkness it's, it's, behind it's, it it's it's more translucent you're saying translucent is a good word yes yeah there's there's several other of these but i decided not to uh feature uh, that sort of thing above that is that's is just one of the super cam shots and I don't know why they come wait, out. Wait, that wait, wait, wait. When you say above it, we're now on another picture, right? Not number seven. Yeah. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. I just, yeah. I just lost everything. Ah. Oh uh, no. No, no. Okay. I, I, I hit the wrong button because I'm doing oh. too many things. So let me get back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let it's me, always worth let, another look, but that's. Let me go. Yeah. All right. What number are we looking at now? Okay. Number seven is just one of the one of the super cam shots. You know, a close-up of something. It was, uh, and that's what they look like. With, uh, well, this is this is the freeze. This is the freeze of Jezero. Yes, of course, of course. We, However, if you jump up another two to number five, this is the point of the whole exercise. Uh, this one, although I did, I trimmed it so that it's square. So I fooled you. It's not, you know, it's not round like those other things. Right. You, you'll notice from the corners that this is one of those super cam shots. And I this simply, is still uh, at, this is still at Yezero. Still at Yezero. It's a uh, there's the number right there. It's uh, oh my god! You know what strict? that looks like? It, look, it looks like Kermit the Frog. You could say that. <laughs> it's uh, 
But Andrew, am I nuts or? Ribbit. Well, it looks like the Cambodian style art again. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So the point, yeah, the point to the whole thing and me trimming it so that you wouldn't say, oh, that's one of those, is that the color looks normal. It does. This was just just a picture of something they shot with their fancy little toy camera. And I, in a normal fashion, it was a little more work than usual because of the extreme vignetting that that thing does for inexplicable reasons. Amazing. So I had to bring up the shadows a little bit. But uh, yeah, that's that's the color. I didn't do anything unusual to it. Mm. It's just unlike most of the, unlike those panoramas they're posting, which are as colorless as a uh, big box of jicama or celery or something the um uh yeah this is this looks like a normal camera picture and it almost has a pinhole camera look that's 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 Mm. weird but it's uh, okay i'm seeing a nice little cat image looking you see that big lump under the two dark things that look like eyes on kermy yeah the and the center of the big lump facing facing the camera is another cat image to me, it looks like something on the uh, wall of a Viking uh, meeting hall or something. I mean, it's got, uh, I mean, I see an old man's face with his mouth open and a big mustache. But see, art is so subjective, which makes right. it really yeah. hard to sell this to anybody except us crazies because they're, they look at this. I mean, I could actually quote to you what the comments are in Reddit from all the would-be mm-hmm. geologists, and they talk about cross-bedding and exfoliation and talus angle i mean everybody's looking at this through geological lenses not realizing mm-hmm. that what the artists that we're talking about did was to sculpt their art in ancient collapsed architecture that had pancaked down from this catastrophic era when the war made mars for a while totally uninhabitable and shook everything to the ground the huge big buildings were flattened by forces that are unimaginable on a planetary scale. And then much, 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 much later, this flattened stuff that looks superficially like terrestrial geology with layers, like when they cut embankments through for a superhighway, they slice through a hill, and you see these nice layers on both sides. That's not what we're seeing. We're not seeing rocks laid down in a quiet pool. We're seeing the resilient architecture of collapsed ancient mega engineering sculpted by much, much later civilizations who had a propensity for putting faces everywhere on Mars, everywhere. Absolutely. And that's actually a good intro to one of Ron's rules. Um, (laughs) Don't have as many as some people being pretty much of a libertarian, but none of this is necessarily right side up. That's a, that's a, that's that's one of the prime rules. Whenever you lo- are looking at any of this stuff here, it may have fallen down. So you know you can't say that something is something simply because it's lying there looking like it. Because we may be looking at it upside down now, or it may need to be upside down for it to look the way it's supposed to look. Uh, you know, it, it's a context issue. So you have to take that into account that you sometimes have to turn things sideways. And normally, if you flip stuff over, turn it sideways invert it, uh, you can find out rather quickly if something's artificial or not, because uh, 
non um sorry sorry pareidolia fans but um <laughs> non are non artificial things uh natural things you flip them upside down and the illusion goes away uh things that are things that have actually been sculpted or crafted or constructed that's not the case you flip them over sideways you turn them around you make them black to white and they still look artificial Hmm. It's it's the simplest test in the world, and they never talk about that. But it's very simple. Look at it upside down. If it doesn't look like anything but a rock, it's a rock. If you look at you know it's the, because that means that it's nothing but the sun angle. See what I'm saying? Right. Um, but if it's a matter of the configuration of it, then it won't matter. You're still going to notice that configuration. That's why I, that's why I cannily led everybody astray with the um, picture of the. Um, Chaparelli or Scaparelli map, um, <laughs> because I still can't. There's still that connection there. The um, well, I won't. I won't. Uh, off the air, I will tell you why I'm not overly overwhelmed by that comparison, and mainly has to do with Martian climate and how it's changed. And the Scaparelli climate of Mars now is not the climate of Mars when this stuff was done, and so that's the first point of departure that I would see. In making a one-to-one -one comparison, Rich. Oh, good, Richard. Look at uh, picture seven of Ron's. I put a close-up into the Skype window. Yeah, I saw that. Okay. Do you see the arm with the hand with the fingers and the index finger pointing in that picture at the bottom? Mm, maybe. Again, maybe. I maybe there's it's got multiple fingers. I'm sorry, uh, we don't have. I I see things hanging down. I don't know whether they're fingers no, again it's so it's, subjective and we don't have a lot of time because we've got right. tim and then we've got andrew's major surprise and we have to talk about the dome so okay. with that tim let's do a tease between now and the bottom of the hour where do you want to take us as a famous radio host once used to say well i following all of this amazing work what i'm going to say is fairly banal so <laughs> That's not much of a tease, is it? But uh, I can take you through my links. But I've been very busy with my daytime job this week, so I've well, done, you're just uh, designing a mega yacht. That's that's all, you know. So yeah, okay. <laughs> not a mega yacht, but a super yacht, yes. But uh, mega yacht start around three thousand gross tons and above. But anyway, that's another whole conversation. Oh. What I would say is that looking at the the rock art, the art we see in the wall, looking at uh, the freeze, whatever terms, you know, we want to give or relate to this, 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 you know, what, what we're talking about now for the last couple of hours, it indirectly reminds me of something I used to do when I was uh, first working, and that was I was living in, in France, and I was working for uh, one of the top naval architects at the time, actually still one of the top naval architects. And what I used to do, because I was suddenly living in a warm climate, in a, in a Mediterranean environment, uh, and I was fairly new to the area, so I didn't sort of know a lot of people, but I used to take a sketchbook and a bottle of wine, and I used to climb up on the harbor wall in Antibes, where all of the mega yachts and the super yachts used to moor up, and I used to sit there after sunset or just before sunset, watch the sunset, enjoy the atmosphere. And I used to sketch ideas that came into my head, coupled with 
features I could see on these beautiful yachts that had already been created. Mm. And as the sun would set, obviously the, you know, the, the night sky would come over, and stars would come out, and it would become much darker to the point where I could barely not even see. And so my little hideout beyond the rocks on, on the harbour wall actually be difficult to sort of navigate my way back sometimes, especially if I had uh, not had dinner. But the point is, the drawings which I ended up with were multifaceted, where I would pull out details. There'd be details of reality from the yacht side scene, plus imaginary things I'd sort of sketched down as well. But they'd end up as like a whole sheet of collage of just items, like multiple, okay, we're, we're talking about heads and lions and cats and you know chuck and things like that in, in the wall on mars but what i used to end up with a, a very similar but very different interpretation of what i would see in my mind coupled with what i'd see in reality and they'd all fuse and morph into each other so i can relate directly to what we're seeing in these these rocks i can i can understand the process and I can understand that it doesn't matter that you suddenly see a cat's head poke out of uh, the side of uh, Chuck's arm, for example. I'm being very good at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the point is, it, it's almost like a piece of clay that people Well, it's the classic Rorschach test. It's the free association, letting your mind connect things um, unconsciously that consciously you won't connect. Well... But maybe it is connecting and just letting ideas. Be, you know, there is a, a way of transmuting ideas into into a physical manifestation. I mean, I, we're really just speculating here, but uh, why not? Maybe it is 3D sketching. But, um, so I can I take so. you through my links, but I think we're coming up on a break fairly soon. Yeah, we are, and and I'm yeah. glad you reminded me. Okay, so. Oh my gosh, we are we are almost late. So what we'll do is we'll do this, and when we come back, we will um, we'll have a very interesting uh, last half hour because we have some amazing additional things to go through. If I can find where I'm supposed to be here, here we are. Okay, all right, everyone, just kind of hold your place. We're at the other side of midnight at the bottom of the hour. My guests this morning, too numerous to mention. Their bios are all on the home page. And uh, on the guest page, bottom of the guest page, we shall return. and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. 
search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. And welcome back, everyone. Last half hour of the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, May 9th. Now, this is a kind of a uh, kind of a template for next weekend. The original design of this program was a two-parter, last night and tonight. Last night was going to be the gang you're hearing tonight, and tonight was supposed to be John Brandenburg and the gang you're hearing tonight. So we've moved John now to next Saturday. So there's an awful lot of material we're not going to get to tonight, but we will get to it next week, next Saturday, as we continue um, this exploration of who the hell are we and what are we doing in this place and did we really, as modern homo sapiens sapiens, originate through a convoluted process of outside intervention genetically? Did we originate on Mars? And did we have to somehow come back home to Earth because Mars became unsalvageable with the technology at hand. What I want to do now is I want to go to a rather remarkable development which happened in the last uh, uh, few days, which is, we were, remember a few days ago we were talking about how the mass cam had taken a mosaic of the entire sky, then they took another mosaic of the entire sky, and they, by the way, done that yesterday. They took more mosaics. Well, in the interreading period, using the NAVCAM, which is a much wider angle um, camera system mounted on the same mast as the mast cams, uh, they took a five-image mo- uh, mosaic, five-frame mosaic of the entire sky and put it out as a series of raw images in the JPL raw image file. Well, JPL did not put this mosaic together for some reason. It fell to two independent um, civilians, one in France and one in Oregon, named Damia Buick. She's a French artist who's done amazing postcards from the edge of the curiosity work and previous spirit and opportunity. And she does an amazing uh, imaging renditions of the NASA data. And then there is a guy named James Sorensen, who's an engineer who lives in Oregon. And his approach is very different. Damia's is artistic. Uh, Sorensen's is very metonymic, very engineering. They both took these five color NAVCAM frames and put them together as a mosaic of the entire sky above Percy sitting there along the edge of Jezero Crater. And Damia's was very wispy and artistic and whatever. And Sorensen's was much more of an engineering approach. And he actually apologized in one of his posts describing what he'd done, that he had kind of ruined and lost the clouds, which Damia thought she was seeing over Yezero. In fact, both are representations 
of what's stretching overhead, which is this extraordinary dome, 30-mile-wide dome, seven miles high, at which point now you want to go back to my images and you want to look at image in my section, image number, we're sliding down, image number 12. Percy All Sky Nav Sol 73, that's a Martian day, a Sol. Sorensen, UMSF, that's unmannedspaceflight.com, enhanced, and it says Bob plus Richard. Because what Bob Harrison did when I sent the first iteration from Buick, Damien Buick around is he applied a new processing technique, which you can see in item number 14 on the right-hand side. And so we'll go between 12, 13, and 14. 13 is a comparison, if you click on that, between an all-sky fisheye image taken on Earth just at sunset, just like the... Uh, Jezero Crater mosaic was done and they're matched up scale for scale and what you'll see strikingly apparent is that there is stunning geometry in the Percy image of the sky and that geometry obviously is totally missing from the left hand edge image uh, of, of my comparison so now Mr. Harrison I want to bring you in for item number 14, talk about what you did and what we're seeing at the bottom on the western side of this, because west is to the bottom in this presentation. Tell us what you did in terms of processing the image that uh, Damia Buick had posted. Bob? Are you there, Bob? So it there. so helps to unmute. Them. It sure does. Yes, I've done that. I, I was going to say people might also uh, find it useful looking at item one and uh, Bob's items. In fact, it might be better going there. Okay. Uh, if it's not too much. Uh, no, no, you just go up to fast items and click on Bob, and that takes you right to item number one. Okay. Okay, go ahead. We're there. Right. I, I've got to click on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it comes down. Click again to enlarge. So you can see uh, Demia Buick's uh, skyscape, which I think she's she's probably used. The original pictures had a green, very green sky, and I think she's probably used uh, a, a sort of white lighting or auto uh, auto equalization effect to, to get to what you'd expect which would be pink uh, but it's also made the center of the sky look a bit darker so that that's what makes me think what that is so what I've done it, it wasn't really a new uh, process I've used I, I've used unsharp mask at full blast you'd use, usually use that very sparingly to uh, so detention. Yeah, because it accentuates what we call high frequency detail. Yeah, so it, it's very useful on you know, ruin-like things on the surface of Mars, for instance, to make the edges stand out. And when you're looking for that, geometry, 
exactly. Um, and to bring out this 3D of things. Um, so what happens when I've done that with hair uh, image is that it, you've got like a grid in the sky, uh, a bubbly grid. Uh, it, you know, it's like you've got it effectively some structured dome overhead, uh, which is what your what what your uh, theory is. Um, you can see it's quite geometric. There see, I, some... I, I, I should provide one more caveat. Before she put this all together, she derezzed all the images. So they're much lower resolution than Sorensen's who used the raw data full resolution, which is why we're seeing hints of the geometry in her presentation, even after Bob worked on it. And we're seeing much different geometry stunning geometry in uh, Sorensen's version. Right. So if we go past that, and now we've got uh, James Sorensen's stitching together. You know, the sky is back to sort of yucky <laughs> green and uh, no real dark patch. There might be cloud now, so without that de-res, there might be clouds around the top half of this, around the horizon. Uh, but uh, even in this one, so if you look above the sunset uh, to the right of the sun, top right sunset, uh, you're beginning to see crisscrossing geometry. There are hints uh, in his hints image. At, and there's a lot of that on. We don't the have right a lot of time, side. so we got to move on here quickly. Come on. Right hand side. Yeah. Okay. So down below, apply the same. Black, you know, massive blast of unsharp mask, and we've got this four-sided shape in the middle, basically a regular four-sided shape with uh, elongated corners going off to the horizon. Uh, very structural looking, especially on the right, uh, and you know, banding, cross banding. So, yeah, like to come in here, Richard? Yeah, what you want to do now is you want to go to my number 12 and click on number 12. What I've done is basically I did separate processing. Remember, good science is always independent confirmation. So Bob and I worked separately. He applied the unsharp mask filter. I applied other filters. I got the two representations, his version of Sorensen and my version and then I melded them together to give us tonal contrast, preserve the geometry. And then if you look at the other images below that, this is number 12, go to click on uh, number 13. That's a side-by-side -side comparison of a terrestrial fisheye image, you know, one of these 180 degree lenses together with the 180 degree view from Jezero and you can see that in, on Earth, when you look up at the sky with a fisheye lens, the top, the zenith, which is right in the middle, is darkest because you're looking through the thinnest amount of atmosphere straight up into space. And at the horizon, which is a circle around the perimeter of this presentation, it gets brighter because there's more air. You're looking through what they call a longer air path length. And there are, of course, clouds that are there near the horizon and they're thickest at the horizon because you're looking through horizontally more 
optical depth and straight overhead. When you look at the Mars image, the Jezero image on the right, none of that is true. The brightest area is right at huge geometry in the center of the dome above overhead over Percy. And there's all kinds of stunning three-dimensional geometry. You can lose yourself for hours, maybe days, looking at all the geometry. That brings us back to now um, number 14. On the left is my fusion of Bob's work and my work building on Sorensen. On the right is my version of Bob's version, where I've actually done a little bit of accentuation in terms of contrast and color. And at the very bottom, remember, that's looking west, all right? If you're standing on Mars, that would be the western sunset. The middle of the circle would be directly overhead. And what's behind you on the other horizon is the top of the circle, okay? So that's the geometry of why you're seeing this. The thing that I found stunning, Bob, is that your, your processing technique brought out these multiple equilateral triangles a bright and dark with obviously a three-dimensional array there's more than one and they're behind each other you can see hints of it in my image on the left but in yours on the right it's obvious that we're looking at equilateral triangles tim this brings you back in of what appears to be the refractive glass structure of a geodesic bucky fuller style design construction dome thoughts i think buckminster fuller was more into his hexagonal octagonal setup but i mean i understand what you're saying that they're panels what and, i'm seeing is uh, a sort of four st louis arches meeting in the middle leaving a sort of a handkerchief over the head of an egg <laughs> I'm only talking Maybe about Ron, the, I'm Ron only talking about like the sunset. That. I'm only yeah. talking about the sunset at the horizon. That bright ring, and then the triangles inside it at the very bottom of the circle. Oh, okay. There. I mean, That's I all I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, I'm 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 already on to 15. Excuse me, I was like lost in 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 the okay, shape. Okay, so, let's yeah. go back to 15 then, because what I did with 15. There's a little feature in um, in in my my Curl Shop Paint Shop Pro that lets you undistort a fisheye lens, and I crank mm -hmm. in 180 degrees. Uh, the image on the left is what I did to my fusion between Bob's work and mine, and the image on the right is a negative. You simply flip it into a negative image. I put them side by side because a lot of times you can see detail better with dark on light as opposed to light on dark. And what's stunning to me is all the incredible organized geometry that makes a kind of a gestalt sense. We're looking at layers. We're looking at, at pillars. We're looking at reflections. I mean, this is a phantasmagorical kaleidoscope of geometry going on overhead of Percy. And they're now taking more all sky images again and again i saw a whole new bunch posted just this afternoon so obviously our friends inside jpl have finally figured out the story of jezero is the dome stretching overhead and they're getting as much data as possible and they will present it so we can do with it what we will which is the outside 
archaeological investigation that they're doing inside, which leads me now directly to you, Mr. Curry. Tell us what you found about the crew who's running the Perseverance mission. Yeah. So, Richard, I uh, was speculating off air after the show last week. It'd be neat to go and try to find the Perseverance, you know, crew and see what their hobbies were, what their inspirations were. And you said, well, if you look, you might be able to find it. And sure enough, I did. I have a link under my thing. I know we're running out of time. It says Meet the Martians. People can go there and look through these people. They have little personal cards that come up with their face, what they do, and a whole bunch of questions. And I'm going to go through a few of these really quick here. Um, Number one, Sarah Milkovich. She's a science and systems engineer. I'll read the question. When you were in elementary school, what did you want to be when you grew up? A scientist of some kind. I debated between space science and archaeology. (laughs) Or maybe a writer. It gets better. Dennis Y. He's a robotics technologist. Okay. When I was young, I stumbled upon a Star Trek series that pulled me into a universe of cyborg aliens, futuristic space weaponry, and wondrous spatial anomalies. In quotations, to borrow a phrase, my impressionable self was completely captivated and fantasized a world where I can be a senior officer fighting evil on a spaceship. Although Star Trek is part reality and part imagined, It fueled in me an interest in space and science that led me to a career at JPL. I'll get a few more in here. Eric, I'm going to brutalize his name. Eric Kultsijutsky. Sorry, man, if you're listening. Robotics Mechanical Engineer 3. What sparked your interest in space and science? I have always had an interest in space as far as I can remember. It might have been from looking at the stars at night to a love of science fiction like Star Wars and star trek what excites you about mars or about space exploration the unknown designing robotic systems to explore these places we have never been and enabling us to learn things we did not know there is so much more exception to the rule in quotations when it comes to (laughs) knowledge yeah of the solar system and universe which means there is a lot for us to discover and learn who inspired you neil armstrong Patrick Stewart, and on it goes from there. Let me grab you a couple more. Craig Hardgrove, a professor, Arizona State University. He was part of the GISA planning team. What sparked your interest in space and science? Reading science fiction, primarily Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac <laughs> Asimov. The idea there are unknown worlds that are our next-door neighbors in space is intriguing and begs us to go there and explore. What do we have in common with our planetary neighbors? What have we been talking about tonight? And what can explain our differences? Why didn't life evolve elsewhere in the solar system? Or if it has, where might it be? History tells us that the more we understand about that part, the better equipped we are to make decisions about the future. Let me grab you a couple more because I've got a whole pile of them here and it's crazy. No, we have plenty of time. Keep going. This is fascinating. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll do it. Devin Anderson, Systems Engineer 2. What excites you about Mars and SpaceX? There are too many answers that I have for this one, dot, dot, dot. The top thing would be the idea of finding life outside of Earth 
listen to this, whether it is what you would expect in a movie or microbial life, exclamation mark. I just want to be part of anything involved, NASA space flight missions. Philip Tu, robotic systems engineer. My interest in space was sparked by very early on as a kid while watching science fiction movies like Contact and Close Encounters of the Third Kind with my dad. Although neither of us knew much about space or science, we were both awestruck by the thought of what mysteries were waiting to be discovered in our vast universe. The fascination and the desire to become an explorer of the unknown stuck with me throughout my childhood and adolescence. And a few more. There's many more folks. Not every single person, I should say here, divulges as much you know, interesting messaging. Um, some are very curt. Actually, most of the women are very, very straight. It's very, very interesting. It's most of these young men who are going off. Preston Ota, me- me- mechatronics engineer. I've always had a love for exploring the unknown, though I'd say my interest in space specifically began after seeing the animated film Titan AE. Good film. Yeah. As a child, I was fascinated by not only the fantastic scenes of zipping past planets and nebulae, nebulae, but also the spacecraft themselves, which carry people from destination to destination. Wasn't Explore- the theme of Titan AE that the Earth is destroyed? Yes, I believe And they have it was. to migrate to another planet? Mm-hmm. Duh! He goes on, exploring the unknown has always been something I enjoyed. And for Mars in particular, the idea that we may one day discover alien life or establish our own <laughs> colony there makes me all the more excited for what's around the quarter. Words can't capture how amazing it it will be able to do this kind of work, and the possibilities in space exploration feel truly limitless. William Huey, technologist. There's so much that remains to be uncovered about the hidden workings of our universe, and so much that we can learn right here in our solar system. If you have natural curiosity, a drive to seek out and describe new truths, just look up in the night sky. Kim Stedman. Of course, I made it very tiny. My path to spacecraft operation was driven by science fiction books and TV shows. I grew up a big fan of the original Star Trek show and movies, along with the love for Star Wars. Um, Okay, let me me, me stop you there, because we can go on and on and on. These are all people working on the Perseverance and Ingenuity teams right now, tonight, at JPL, or by Zoom from all over the world because they're not physically all in one place. I believe, and I think you would concur, Andrew, these are the people who are either looking at this and who are as dumb as dirt and not seeing any of the amazing stuff we're seeing, or they were recruited specifically because of their incredible diverse interests and backgrounds and expertise and genius, and they're running a secret hidden mission program looking with these tools that we taxpayers have provided them at the real history and art and science and archaeology and paleontology and history of the human race on Mars. And somehow not one of them has broken cover except between the lines like Emily Dickinson in their bios. Richard, one last fellow, and this is not a young pup. His name is Ken Farley, and he's standing in his picture like, like, like Steven Spielberg. He's the Mars 2020 Project scientist. 
What sparked your interest in space and science? My family was always trying to figure things out. We found in nature, rocks, plants, old ruins. Oh, my God. Ah. Whatever. Yeah. Ah. Finally. Okay, we got a few minutes till the end. Guys, let's just talk among ourselves. Given this cadre, given their interest, given the diversity, how can they not see what we're seeing, given that we're only seeing a, a smidgen of the evidence they are being inundated with right now? How can they mention it? How can they not? Well, exactly. I, I agree with Ron. If they want to keep their job, they obviously signed yeah. some sort of non-disclosure agreement. If they blew so the they doors off, if they blew the doors off, they would be they'd be the pick of the litter for any program, including Musk. Remember, Musk is providing a private enterprise counterpoint to all government space programs. If they couldn't get a job with NASA, he would snap them up in a second because he wants to go and find ancient extraterrestrial civilizations as he said on joe rogan just not in the solar system if they came with their credentials let's just say okay tonight it it is all all disclosed talk us through the next five days what would happen in the world do you think we'd all just go to work as normal i've got three minutes i can't do it i'll do it next week (laughs) no seriously no it's not enough nowhere near enough next week we're going to be talking about what could have happened to force us to come here, to return home. Remember Supertramp, the long way home? This has been a hell of a long way to get home, to look back and see where we were and where we are now. And the world desperately needs this. It's the only thing that's gonna change the downward spiral of humanity. In case you haven't checked out the news lately, we're in the middle of several simultaneous crises. This is the one thing big enough to rescue the human race, the one thing, I, and all these idealists are sitting there on their buns saying nothing. I, I disagree, Richard. I think that we need to take responsibility that what is happening out there is also what we're allowing to happen. We are also co-creators in this, so maybe this is the catalyst mm-hmm. we need to make the jump to uh, universal consciousness, which perhaps was powering what these archaeologies were built with in the first place. So I don't think it's the one thing. Anybody? I'd agree with Tim. I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, it's it's there are forces that like things going the way they are going. And, and do that, we and that. do we get look, all of these people, Andrew, what was the common theme that you read in all these bios? Because you've read dozens and dozens. What was the common theme? Well, they were inspired by their childhood exposure to science fiction and imaginative worlds. That's And they wanted to do what? Well, they want to be part of exploring and discovering life beyond this planet. They Uh, want to serve humanity. Yes, that's a big point. Yes. Yes. Well, they're not serving humanity by keeping their damn mouths shut. They're serving the dark side of the force. One of them, just it only takes one, and then everything like a super crystallized glass of water will crystallize around them, and suddenly they will be the biggest name, the biggest superstars, the biggest you know progenitors of the next phase of human existence on the planet, and all it takes is one. 
to be continued next week. Um, it's kind of an intriguing note to end on tonight. I wanted you to hear who it is who's doing all this behind the scenes, having the most extraordinary experience of their lives, both personal and professional, and not one of them is saying a word. They just keep leaking out the real stuff so we can work on it out here. So until next Saturday and Sunday, same time, same Matt channel, remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone, and happy Mother's Day, mothers. Thank you.